I'm always putting constant stress on my body, which is why I decided to try mud water. And it has been a game changer in regard to mental focus. The blend of adaptogenic mushrooms, cordyceps, and lion's mane all support focus, physical performance, and are great for the immune system. Now, these aren't the hallucinogenic type of mushrooms, but I do like that mud water gives back to the Berkeley Center for the Science of Using Psychedelics to help treat individuals with mental health disorders. Go to mudwater.com, that's M-U-D-W-T-R, use code CAM for 15% off your first order. Hoyt Archery has been my bow hunting sponsor since 2005. And personally, I really don't care what bow you shoot, what brand it is. I just hope that you have the same level of confidence in your equipment as I have in mine. Because I know if I get one opportunity with my Hoyt, it's going to pay off. All right. Well, this is a Keep Hammering Collective podcast with Wayne Endicott. And this is, can you believe we're doing this? Cam, I'm, I'm super honored. I, I can't believe you asked me to do this, really, honestly. I, I'm, 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 I'm honored. Yeah. Well, ba- I mean, I wanted to anyway, but the public is pretty much demanding it because <laughs> you've been such a integral part of the Lift, Run, Shoot series and just how you can explain archery, how you speak from the heart. Um, of course, I've known you forever. Yeah. And yeah, you've got always... We've got some rich history. We do. And you've always been the same. But for these people coming in and seeing you and seeing how genuine you are and how much you care and what a good teacher you are, people have been saying, you got to talk to Wayne, Wayne Endicott. (laughs) So here we are. Okay, here we go. (laughs) You got me. So, uh, I mean, this, I don't even know where to start. You know, we've been friends for, I'll just, I'll just set the stage, but uh, Wayne bought the bow rack way back when, when we were young kids, I was, I think 19. How old were you when you bought it? I, I believe I was 26 years old. Oh, wait, no, no, no. I no, the bow rack was there when I first started bow hunting. Right. You, right. you got it maybe a couple years later. 80, I think I was dealing for it in 89 and it went through, you know, right after the first of the year. So. Right. So I would have been maybe 20, 1989. Yeah. And you were young or, or mid twenties basically. But uh, how was that process? I mean, buying the bow rack. Well, you know, I was, I knew other than just having a weakness for archery and bow hunting at a really young age, you know, got out of high school, a bunch of buddies, you know, that I was going to high school with, we all wound up working at Roseboro Lumber Company. And I just, you know, all they did was talk about bow hunting. And I, so, you know, this is right after high school. I think it was my second job after high school, welded for a couple of years. And then they, well, we got a bow hunt. So of course we wound up hanging around down there at, at, at the bow rack, you know, and, and I mean, back then, you know, let alone, we couldn't hunt up our car keys, let alone hit anything, you know, right. and the equipment was rough at best. And, you know, we just pulled our hair out, you know, just trying to make arrows hit a target. And, uh, you know, I was the kind of kid growing up that, you know, there was Anders and sporting goods in town. Mm-hmm. It was like the sporting goods store. So as a kid, like I'd talk my mom into stopping and then she could like find me cause I'd be all over the store just looking right. at stuff, you know? And so I just like, this is a dream, you know, to have a, a sporting goods store. This would be nothing better, you know? And so, you know, just as kids, you know, we hung out at the bow rack. It was the next coolest thing to Anderson sporting goods. You know, Ron Schreiber was there, uh, uh, Tony, um, oh my gosh, my mind slips me, but, uh, Tony was the main guy there. You know, everybody loved Tony. 
And, uh, you know, we, we were just like all enthralled in the, in, in hanging out down there. And so, you know, period of time went by and we were just trying to bow hunt. Mm -hmm. We were big bow hunters, couldn't hit nothing. You know, I killed a buck. you, Jeff Brooks, Dwayne Levitt. Dwayne Levitt. Yeah. You, Roy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, but that, that you and Roy came along when I bought it. Yeah. But, you know, the early days was basically just me and Brooks and Levitt, and we were just worthless. Oh, my gosh. We <laughs> you got to tell the story about when you wanted to, when you painted your arrows. Oh, that's that's <laughs> crazy. So Steens Mountains, loaded with deer. You know, I'd grown up rifle hunting. It. Dad had rich history there. You know, we've got a lot of history in the Steens. And so I told the, I, I told those guys, I go, look, we're going to the Steens. First year of bow hunting, we're going to the Steens. And so all year we shoot game getter twos. Yeah. Well, they had anodization, horrible anodization. They were orange, right? No, they were kind of green. Oh, greenish then. color. They were okay, kind of yeah. just this dull. Not the game getter like twos. Like OD green, you would call it right. today, right? Yeah, they right. were game getter arrows. So we're just shooting these arrows into hay bales. That's mm-hmm. all we had. Yeah. You know, and and so by the end of the season, like we're ready to go. These these are chrome. I mean, they are shiny chrome. Well, we get the you idea. wore the paint off. Yeah, we, all shooting. the anodization came off, and they're just shiny chrome. Right. And so, like, we got we can't have this, you know. So we go buy a bunch of rattle can paint. We get the big idea, and I think it was Brooks's idea. <laughs> Dude, let's camo these arrows. You right. Know? So we do. Oh, it's great. You know, of course Who we knows don't what shoot it them because the it'll come off, right? <laughs> so we're just all ready to go, and uh, and so I'm spotting for Jeff. And he's making this big stock. And I mean, back then, oh my gosh, you remember the Steens. Oh, it's and amazing. I, and I've got another side story. We, I've taken Lisa and, and I went in there the last two years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's another side story. But, but there was literally, you could literally see 75 bucks in one evening on one hillside. I, me and Roy went scouting one time on the 4th of July when we were going to go in 91, when I killed that big buck up there when you invited me. Right. And in the weekend, we saw something like 44-point bucks or better. Was, and we were over days. on the other side. We weren't where I killed that one. We were over on the other side. And it's just right. like, we're like, what is this heaven? Deer <laughs> hunting heaven? Yeah, it no, they crazy. Were just, it was like rabbits. I mean, it was like jackrabbits. It's overpopulation of deer, right? And so, you know, anyway, so... Brooks is, we had this big game plan, you know, we'd, we'd read Dwight Shute's book, right? Mm-hmm. Open, open, country, open country mule deer, yeah. right? So Classic. we had this all figured out, right? You know, one guy spots and the other guy makes his long stock up and around, use hand signals. I mean, we didn't have mm-hmm. radios or anything back then, you yeah. know, just hand signal stuff. So we had all these hand signals worked out. So Jeff's like making his final ascent on this buck and he's coming in over one of those big, yeah. you know, rim rocks, yep. you know, and the buck's bedded right at the base of it. And so he gets right up there and I'm just, it's just intense. Just, I'm sitting there just watching and, you know, I see Jeff, you know, he's got his arrow loaded and he goes to start to draw and this buck just shoots out of there like he shot out of a cannon <laughs> and Jeff's at full draw and the buck's run. And of course he shoots at it, yeah, you know, cause yeah. you had to shoot, right? Arrows in the quiver don't deliver. That's right. There's no, no hit, nothing, you know? And so I get up to him. I'm like, I'm like, dude, what happened? You know, what in the world happened? How did he hear you draw? Yeah. And he's like, take an arrow out of your quiver and draw it. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and he's like, just do it. Yeah. And I pull out. And like, was, was it a springy then, rest? No, no. We had, we, we were, we were more advanced than springy rest. Okay. <laughs> we had a Huntmaster 2000. They were oh, made by yeah. Golden Key. Right. It had a foot and a plunger button. Right? right. On an overdraw. Yeah. And so, you know, I pull it out and I draw it back and the whole way back. It's just, ooh. <laughs> 
And I'm like, that paint scraping no! on that. Yeah. You've got to be kidding me. Yeah. You know? And so then we're just like, well, what do we do? Well, Jeff had some Vaseline. So uh, then we Vaseline our arrows and it made it go away. Oh my And so gosh. you can only imagine how those would have flown, right? We got paint on them, Rough. which makes them heavy. Yeah. We got Vaseline on them now. <laughs> well, it, I, <laughs> I remember. We're just total stumblers. I mean, we, we shot that, a lot that was back like, then. we were the biggest stumblers ever. You know, I remember. Do you remember Bill and Bob Henson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. real well. Yeah, so, Bill and Bob. Yeah. yeah, their dad. I remember one time we were hunting up above Marcola, and and he got back, and I don't know if he had arrows missing or whatever. And I was like, "Did you get any shots?" He's like, "He goes, yes, I did." I said, "What happened?" He's like, "Well, I shot over some and I shot under some." <laughs> So that was just the name of the game back then. You right. you took enough arrows so you could get some arrows in the air. The most amazing thing is that first year, I actually killed a buck. You killed that big wide three point, wasn't it, was it? Unbelievable. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And I missed it the first shot. Oh, so we're like, and this is this. We're coming back from the Steens, Jeff and I, mm -hmm. and. Uh, and there's this place, Tumalo Creek. I mean, everybody that hunts Oregon would probably know where it's at. It's over by Broken Top. And it used to be like all these giant bucks that were mule deer and they'd stay up there in the park zone. And it was just beautiful country up mm -hmm. there. And so, you know, Jeff and I park and we whittle our way up there and uh, we split up. And we knew where these bucks were at. There was usually like 15 or 20 of these bucks up there and they were all just stupid big, mm -hmm. you know, like. 180 200 inch bucks i mean back then they were yeah. an uncommon giant and giant bucks and so jeff takes off to my right you know we're just going to split up and we're just going to do our own thing because it's kind of flat up there it's just these little tiny trees and mostly open and i you know jeff hadn't been gone for like 35 minutes and i look over and here comes that buck and he's big walking to you no he's running oh, okay because <laughs> jeff had spooked him oh gotcha and so here he comes and and so at this point, and I even hate to admit this, I'd miss 14 deer. <laughs> right. No, right. So this is going to be number 15. Yeah. And I, I missed mean, 16 my first yeah. year, so I got you. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, you do. <laughs> That's not uncommon for you to have me. But anyway, I draw, and I'm just like, this is what's going through my mind. I'm such a defeatist. I'm like, I'm going to miss this thing, right? I'm going to miss it. <laughs> And so I draw my bow and it runs right out in front of me. It's, it's probably not 30 yards. Oh, man. And fine line sight, you know. Yeah. And, and Good so sights. I'm getting down to where, you know, because we have range finders back then. I mean, there's no way to know the yardage. No. We were crappy on yardage anyway. He mm -hmm. looks like he's a bit of a distance. And back then, I mean, 50 yards was forever. That's a long I shot. Mean, oh, you didn't even shoot 50. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm thinking, oh, he's he's got to be like at least 30. Well, somehow I shoot over him. Mm -hmm. And the arrow, you know, the wind was blowing a little bit and the arrow goes over him and skips up through the rocks. Well, mm -hmm. he hears it and it mm -hmm. spooks him and he's just looking everywhere. Well, he doesn't see me. I'm standing next to a tree and he turns and there's a little dry wash right next to me and he runs down the dry wash. Oh, I'm... So the best thing that happened is I get pissed. I'm yeah. just like, no, this is impossible. Right. And so I go running after him, but I'm on the other side of this little hill. Okay. And so he's running down this dry wash. So I sprint down this thing as hard as I can go for like 150 yards. And I'm just thinking, well, he should be right here. So I pop up over the top and he hears me and he stops and he's just looking every direction. Then I got an arrow loaded and I drew back. And I remember, I mean, it was such a good lesson because I pull back and I'm like, I'm just ticked. Yeah. And I'm like, I just put my 50 on him. <laughs> if he's not 30, he's 50, right? You just guess. <laughs> yeah. There's no, it's there, always I even. remember in my head, I'm just like, he's 50. I mean, yeah. there was no, no second guess in it. I just draw back and I let that 50 set on him a little bit and I cut it loose and I hit him through the neck 
busts the opposite shoulder and he just falls down right there. Oh, and he, man. he doesn't go anywhere. And How'd all that of a sudden, feel? I'm was a that big, your first bow kill? That's my first bow kill. Whoa. And all of a sudden, I'm a big bow hunter. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've arrived. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it's that like picture. It's like 1980, what was it? 83 or Whoa. something like that. Yeah. You know, it was way back there. So I mean, we're wearing, we're wearing, uh, our camel was like uh, army surplus. Yeah. You know, the old woodland army surplus. And yeah. These little fanny packs. And I mean, yeah. it wasn't even packs back then. You know, you couldn't wear them. They were so noisy. And the bows weren't, I mean. <sighs> I shot him with a golden eagle. Okay. A golden eagle, um, uh, like some kind of, oh, I can't even remember, super hawk. Or, I think it was a super hawk. I had this, uh, Turbo Hawk Super Cam oh. was my first first one. And this is it. I walk into the bow rack and they look at me and I'm six one, right? Yeah. You're 31 straw. Because you just had <laughs> right. a choice, right? Right. You were you could have been 29. I think they had 29 back then, actually. Mm-hmm. But you were 29, 30, or 31. They just look at me and you're 31. And I'm like, the whole time, I all year practicing, I'm like, I got my thumb behind my neck. Mm-hmm. I'm leaning back as far as I can, and it's all I can do to keep this bullet full draw. And that's yeah. what I hunted with. <laughs> I'm like, you got to be kidding. I'm a 20. Well, for years I shot 28 inch draw uh-huh. and now I'm 27 and a half. You just shrink over time. It's yeah. just a reality. Yeah. Well, happens. we all shot too long of bows basically <laughs> because of that. Yeah, and that's, you just had to fit in. That's it's what was made in the industry. You know. Well, that reminded me of, you say that a lot with some of these new archers we have coming in about being aggressive, you know, mm-hmm. with a bow. So you yeah. said you were mad and that's why you killed that buck. Right. And it is. It, it is being the the aggressor, mm-hmm. the uh, you're going to make this happen. You're going to kill that deer. That's an attitude. Right. And it and then it reflects over into what you're doing. Well, you know, moving forward, I mean, anybody that I could learn from, I would, you know. And so just, you know, Michelle and Terry Ragsdale, you remember them? Yeah. They shot yeah, for great, PSC. Great just, shooters. Oh, my gosh. They won everything. Mm-hmm. She was the meanest, maddest chick shooting. I mean, she's the nicest person. I, I I think I met her one time. I met Terry one time. I went to Vegas, like, I think it was 1989 or 90. I went to Vegas mm-hmm. and I met them. They were like the nicest people ever. But you watched her shoot. Yeah. She was the most aggressive. She had the most aggressive stance. Mm-hmm. I mean, she would come in and she would just have like, I'm... I'm going to kill that target. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you watch that and it was infectious because it's like, I like that. Yeah. You know, you have to shoot with purpose. You have to shoot with aggression. And so she definitely had that whole mantra down in her tournaments mm-hmm. and she won. I mean, Terry, Terry didn't shoot like that. <laughs> he yeah. like, he was he, still a good shooter. He, oh, he was awesome. And his dad was like the just incredible coach, you mm-hmm. know? I remember and, that. Yeah. And then I, I do. So I'll just <clears throat> throw out an old name and see if you remember this. I just thought about this the other day. Um, and this was early days, Jim Hodson. Oh, Jim Hodson. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Do you remember, like, what stands out when you think of Jim Hodson? Oh, my gosh. Um, unbelievable bow hunter. And the most humble guy you, Do you remember the seminar he did in your life. Yeah. I mean, he would, just, he would say his biggest line is like, you know, I'm not any good, but I'm just out there a lot. And, you know, if you're out there a lot, and you shoot enough arrows, someone's going to die. He would I, like say stuff like that. Do it's, you remember that seminar he had at the bow rack? So his wife was a professional photographer. Okay. Oh, that's what it was. That's yeah. why and he, he goes, had that she album. Sets my cameras up for me and I just take lots of pictures. Mm-hmm. And he had the most incredible photos in the yeah. world. And he was the nicest guy in the world. He was a dentist that's right. from, from Redmond. Yeah. And he'd been to Kodiak. Like he would, he would charge me. Like he would get a hold of me. Wayne, he goes, look, you need to go to Kodiak. 
He goes, you need to go to Wyoming elk hunting because <laughs> you need to start now. And yeah. I'm like, I've got kids. I've got no money. I've got we this never thought shop. about out of state anything back then. <laughs> no, but he would tell, he, he's like, well, the last time I had him for a seminar, he was getting elderly. Mm-hmm. He'd been to Kodiak 55 times Whoa. at that point. And that, there, I oh. think that was the reason Roy and I started taking such good photos way back when, because we went to that seminar and he had that album of right. all eight by tens. And oh, we were yeah, just sitting yeah. there, and we'd just look at all his amazing <laughs> pictures of all these adventures. Right. And I just remember Jim Hodson. Oh, that, my gosh. I need an album like Jim Hodson. That was my goal. Right, right. No, you and, and you wanted to be like Jim. Mm-hmm. I mean, in every way. I mean, he was the most humble guy. I mean, remember the story where he, he's like, he's like got this picture of this moose, and it's it's looking in his tent. And he was sick or something and couldn't go out. His buddy's going out looking <laughs> And, and his moose just comes in and it's a giant, Yeah, it's a giant moose. And he winds up shooting it like right in his camp and his buddy yeah. comes back and he's got it all butchered right here. And yeah. like, what did you do? How'd right. you get it back? He's like, well, it came into camp. <laughs> well, that, I just remember that because as young bow hunters, like we were right. these guys who oh. they kind of paved the way, you know, we're now we're old. Oh. And so now we yeah. got all these young studs coming right. up, Right. you know, you might say white, see bright. Nathan oh, Endicott, your, your, your son. Um, there's this other kid. Wow, he kills, oh, Derek somebody. Derek David? Davis? No, 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 no. Derek, his dad used to work with my brother and Jim Osborne. Uh-huh. I can't remember his name <clears throat> now. But he kills a bunch. Right. Tanner, do you know that guy's, Derek's name? Remember him? He, Man, there's a lot of hot rods out there. There's kids that are just driven. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Wyatt's like... Wyatt is a different cut of kid. I yeah, mean, he kills. he's already got way more accomplishments in a tough environment for hunting mm-hmm. than like anybody else I know at his age in history. Maybe real. That's that's. I mean, saying it something. is. Oh, it is. I mean, because yeah, he's the, going to front out of state too, which we never could. Right. Oh, I know. I know. He follows me. He's like, he's <laughs> like Wayne. I drew Wyoming. I'm like, awesome. What'd you draw? He's like, yeah, I drew. You know, unit I'd hunted a lot. You know, and yeah. I would say it. I don't really care. I'll never draw it again in my lifetime. But people get upset. But yeah, we don't need to say. Yeah, it. yeah. But anyway, and and he's been there twice now. He drew yeah. luck of the draw. Man, and, and he, he's just he's just this kid that's just blessed that way. There's know? another there's another old guy too, uh, and I'll say what he just used to say is it doesn't cost any more to aim. Oh my gosh, J.C. James. Yeah. So J.C.'s quite the story. So when I first bought the shop, I mean, I I, I know I, I was I I went to college a couple of years. I was a criminal justice major. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about business. I'm an idiot. <laughs> You know, and I don't know anything. I just know I want, you know, like every dumb kid, Mm -hmm. you know, that buys an archery shop. I think there's a pile of them that do it. You know, in the beginning, I'm like, dude, I'm going to hunt all the time. I'm going to shoot tournaments all the time. And I'm going to sell bows and arrows. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. (laughs) Sounds great, right? Yeah. Except kind of left out the work part of it in the beginning, you Mm -hmm. know, so... You know, and and I buy this shop, you know, and of course I go in, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's, I'm, I, I, this is, this is a lot of work. There's a lot of responsibility going on here and I don't even have a clue what I'm doing. Right. And, you know, so like, honestly, the first person I ever met in the shop was, was Roy, mm-hmm. Roy Roth. And the second person's JC James. JC comes in, he goes, hi, I'm JC James. He goes, <clears throat> he goes, I've got a. I got I to gotta ask you a question. I go, what's that? And he goes, I've got a vacation coming up. 
And he goes, I'm going to be off for a couple of weeks. He goes, you care if I come work with you for a week? And I'm like, absolutely. Why did he, I go, why you did he offer that? that? Just because he's a good hearted guy. Yeah. he just And we became great friends after that. I mean, he's way elderly now. And it's kind of funny, you know, he's, he, JC would have, oh my gosh, he's the best storyteller ever. You know, and and joke tellers, except the jokes have probably curl your eyelashes, you know, most <laughs> of them. But but with that, you know, he he came in, it's probably been five years ago, and he's he's telling me everything that's wrong with him. And he stops and he goes, What is wrong with me? He goes, When we were young, he goes, We talked about hunting and shooting bows and tournaments and girls. <laughs> And he goes, now? He goes, all I do is talk about the medication I'm on. What's wrong with me? Uh, <laughs> but no, yeah. JC came and he had a little store. He had a little store for a while. Mm. Archery? And, and yeah, and he was on staff with PSE. He was a competitive shooter. Mm-hmm. Shot bow hunter freestyle, which is, you know, all the goodies, bow scope, 30-inch yeah. stabilizer, but shot fingers. Mm. And he was a good finger shooter. Mm. And so he, he came and, uh, and worked with me. You know, and he set up bows and kits and he'd like, you got to get all these bows all cookie cuttered and kits and you set them all up and guys come in, you let them shoot them and you work with them and everything. And I mean, I learned more from him than anybody Hmm. I've ever been around, you Mm -hmm. know, and I've had a lot of great men work for me. That's the other thing. I mean, once, once I kind of got the foundation built, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and stuff, I, I just had a lot of, you know, started with Jamie Coleman, you know, Jamie and I were like family for a lot of years. And then, uh, you know, Chris Phillips, you know, Chris is just a great kid. He's a state cop now, Joe Young, you know, Joe was awesome. You know, I've got a great crew of guys now, you Mm -hmm. know, Trent Stoops and Jordan and AJ and, 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 and Blake, I mean, you know, and then Nate works for me part-time. I mean, he's kind of, he's a crazy success story. I mean, just good guys, but I've just had great people, Chris Stewart. I mean, Chris and Chris, you yeah. know, Nikki worked for me, Nick Hammond, yeah. Nick the trainer dude. I mean, Nikki, oh, I've got such great stories about Nikki. I, he's such a kind-hearted guy. And, and Phillips, you know, Chris, you knew yeah. Chris. Yeah, You know. He's competitive. Oh. Remember us shooting? Oh, gosh, yeah. Chris. I mean, we, when Chris, we used to do the 3D well, shoots. Chris, Chris is, and, I, and Chris understands this. He's going to like me saying this, but... But Chris was a bully. Yeah. And he used to pick on Nick, right? <laughs> Who picks on Nick, right? Right, yeah. And Chris would just, just like terrorize him. Right. And so Nick walks Getting in one in day. Head. Yeah. Nick wasn't having a good day. Nick walks in. He's got his, you know, Nick always come in with his cooler mm-hmm. full of food. You know, yeah. he's going to eat all day, but he's, you know, he's coming in. And Nick looks up and he sees Phillips and he goes, not a word, not a word out of you. I get one word out of you. I'm going to kill you. Just <laughs> nothing out of you today. <laughs> rough day oh yeah like, Chris and, and Phillips. Nikki, Nikki was always good you know but he's like he's yeah. just like it was for anybody who was in there it wasn't like business hours uh, and he's just like he just sets Phillips straight right off Phillips is pretty relentless yeah yeah, yeah. well you know though. when Nate ran the hill that one time with you yeah so this is Phillips for you right you know we had a lot of fun with old Chris um Nate comes in right and he just got out of college you know and he comes in he goes hey he goes he goes, Nate, you're going to go run the hill? Cam's got that, you know, lift, run, shoot thing. He's going to give bow away or whatever. What, you going to go do that? And Nate's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And he's like, yeah. He goes, figured you, you know, and that's just what Cam said. He said, you didn't have a heart for it. He said, you just smoke you. And, you know, you worked with my son. And yeah. Because you guys already had the competitive yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and I wasn't even there. Yeah. I was like running errands. Mm-hmm. And Phillips tells me all this when I get back, right? And... 
And so Nate's like, what? He said that? And he's like, yep. Said you didn't have the heart for it. Said you'd chicken out. He knew you wouldn't do it. And, and Nate's like competitive of the bone. Right. I mean, my son, I yeah, mean, I've oh, got you know, great stories about him when he was a kid, but he's, 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 he's always been a driven competitor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Nate's like, I'm, I'm going to go get my shoes. And so when he showed up, wasn't he just changing his clothes yeah, and putting yeah. his shoes on? Yeah. 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 So he just, he's like, a good runner. Yeah. Holy cow. Oh, no, he was a runner. I, I, you know, he was, he was the athlete all, he was a kid, you know, and, and, all the way through school is like, dad, I got to play soccer. Then I got basketball, then, then baseball, then, then football, flag football. It's like, okay, these are overlapping. Can we take, no, I have to play every sport. So we had like practices overlapping. And Mm -hmm. so I got to coach his basketball and his, his, his baseball, you know, and it was, when you talk about heart, I remember he like at the track state track meets, he Mm -hmm. would run so hard. He'd come in. Did he have to go off on an ambulance once? So it was close. I mean, he was, there was, he's foaming, just yeah. like sprinting, giving everything he had. Yeah. He was a 1500, three, and he loved the 3000, but the mm-hmm. 3000 would, yeah. And, you know, he'd win a lot of them. And I mean, he set the whole wall of shame. You know, I don't know if much of his stuff's been broken at Thurston for distance and cross country. Yeah. But, you know, that was his thing. He would put it all out there, you know, and he would I've train like, like he'd come, like, so his whole running career starts like when he's, 14 and he comes home one day and he's like <clears throat> well no it's school starts and i'm home and it's like six o'clock and i, I tell lisa i asked lisa i go where's nate he's like britney's here where's nate mm-hmm. and nobody knows and i'm like so then you know we're living in ambleside and i look out in the street and somebody's pulling in like 6 30 and nate jumps out of the car so i'm like right at the door i'm like <laughs> so what's going on he goes dad dad he goes he goes i just i just I just ran, uh, I just ran with the guys, you know, on the track team. And I'm like, and what you say, I'm going to go out for track. And I'm like, really? And he goes, I made the team. He goes, I'll make, he goes, I make varsity. And I go, how do you make varsity? I haven't even ran a meet yet. He goes, well, I just beat all the senior guys. Whoa. I'm like, yeah, well, I guess. He's good. Yeah. And then, and he, you know, we just got back from hunting and he actually hunted a long season with me that year. So no running, but he was in great shape. He was in good shape. So that yeah. kind of launched that whole thing. So oh. yeah, Nate was a runner around for Portland state, you know, great competitor. Yeah. You know, and he, he's still, now he's channeling just like we did channeling mm-hmm. that, that, uh, energy and that focus into bow hunting. Right. Right. And is, I, you know, shameless plug for him, but you know, Indicott films, I mean, I think, you know, kid does a good job. Of course mm-hmm. I'm biased. I'm his dad, but you know, I watch it. And it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah. yeah. He does a good job. I, I, uh, so you mentioned Roy was the first guy who came oh, in. Tell me, tell me something about Roy. Oh my gosh. Um, one, Roy was unbelievable individual. I mean, you and I have the pleasure to know that. Mm -hmm. I mean, so many people, um, Roy, I'm in the shop one day and Roy comes in he sits down, just has a seat. Still remember the joke he told. Um, he'd always had a joke for you and he was just the kindest, hardest. I mean, as a young guy, I mean, here I'm, I'm this puffed up, proud, think I know everything dude, you know, just a complete bumbling idiot guy. And here's Roy, and he's just the kindest guy ever, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, he he would come in almost, if it wasn't every day, it was every other day, just for lunch, 
you know, he was always working hard, you know, him and his dad had that foundation business where they yeah. were replacing and, and, you know, in construction and everything. And he just couldn't help but just fall in love with this guy. Mm-hmm. Right. I yeah. mean, he was just one of those guys that just looked at you and you just, you just knew you were going to be friends. Yeah. Right off. Yeah. I mean, and, and, <clears throat> and so just a, a, I've got a ton of hunting stories and you have way more than I do, but Roy comes in and season starts, right? Well, I'm, I've just got like one part-time employee. I think Mike Allen was working for me and I'm just trying to peddle this shop. And so Roy comes in, he's like, man, he goes, I'm into the elk. And this is back when Warehouser had no restrictions yeah. and everybody could just go up there and do whatever. Mm-hmm. They had locked gates, yeah. but you could, they didn't care if you hunted it or not. I mean, right. you know, bow hunters didn't amount to anything. And Roy comes in, he goes, man, I'm into all these bulls. And we got this funny horn bull. You remember the I funny, remember funny horn? Yeah, I, I saw him. that thing, you know, and then he had all these big, big bulls, you know, and, and he's just telling me all these wild stories. And he goes, you want to go? I'm like, I'm just starving to death to hunt because, yeah. you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want to go. He goes, he goes, okay. He goes, and we get done talking. He tells me a bunch of stories and he goes, okay. He goes, he goes, we need to meet it too. And I go, right. I go, um, I thought we were going to go in the morning. I go, I go, I have to run my shop. I go, I can't go at two. Yeah. I have to be here to, to open it. I think back then, I think I opened at 11 mm-hmm. and I go, I got to be back here to run the shop. And he goes, no, two in the morning. And so like anybody, I judged the book by the cover. I yeah. had never stepped outside one day with Roy. Right. And so I'm looking at and Roy and I'm like, for we got to leave at two because he's a big guy. He's a big guy. Yeah. Yeah. And and so underneath all that, I soon discovered that that was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Underneath all that, mm-hmm. you know, because he's the strongest man I've ever met in my bloody life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so yeah, we met at two in the morning and we hike in the dark. Like we, it gets daylight. We're, we're at the top of Mill Creek from the <laughs> bottom of Windling. It's a and, long walk. And I'm trying to keep up with this guy. And yeah. we're cutting across units. I mean, we went from one main line to the other, just cutting down and crossing a creek mm-hmm. in the dark. Right. To the other side and hit some main line. And I'm just, I'm cut up. I'm bleeding. I'm just trying to chase this guy. Yeah. And I don't want to let him think that I'm a wussy. I'm like, but I've never really like done this push in Western hard. Oregon and pushed yeah. this hard. Yeah. You know, I'm used to Eastern Oregon. It's all wide open. I'm right. like, cut my teeth over there, but mm-hmm. this is all new, you know? Yeah. And, you know, yeah, it gets daylight. Well, my shop didn't open that day. <laughs> so we got into a big were, herd of elk up there. Yeah. And Roy's like, okay, they're going that way. I'm going to go this way. You go that way. <laughs> and I didn't see Roy again until like four and a half hours after dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People, and that was the first day I hunted with Roy. People talk about, you know, everybody talk likes talking about how tough they are. <sighs> I don't, and no, I just, I no compare idea. everybody to Roy and I'm like, you're not tough. No, you're not tough. Cause I've seen I, tough. I tell everybody the same thing. I go, go to rich outdoors and go to Roy podcast and mm-hmm. watch that. I've had, I had a financial, well, Scott Whiteley, financial mm-hmm. advisor. He was doing seminars. He made him listen to Roy's podcast. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you, there was so much to learn from Roy, but I mean, don't, don't talk about the old days. Yeah. You know, exploit everything that you have to the fullest. Mm-hmm. And I mean, oh my gosh, I remember watching Roy. You know, Roy was with me still to this date. I've killed some good bulls, but, you know, that bull we killed in the Steens together. I remember it. I think that that's still like that one of the biggest. That stands out. 
that, yeah. that bowl was, I mean, I remember it's fourths coming up on, the, oh, especially on that one side and that picture, such a cool picture with you. And yeah. to us, that was like a world record bowl, right? You know, to us, right. we hadn't killed anything by then. No, no. And, uh, that bowl and he was with you. And, right? and Roy called it in. Okay. But Roy was there. The thing comes around a root wad and Roy's blocked because mm. <laughs> I look over Roy's a full draw and I see it coming. He's a full draw. I'm like, so I draw and I look and, and Roy's not shooting, and the bull comes around, and I punk, I shoot, and Roy lets up, and he's like, oh, "Dude, I was blocked." Yeah, you know, but what a great experience that was with Roy. But another thing I learned is a master butcher. Mm-hmm. The dude was a chickmunk with a knife. Yeah, I mean, he knew. I mean, he's like, "What do you?" He, we get done taking a few pictures, you know. Yeah, and I had to talk Roy. This was before pictures days, okay. you know. But I was still big on photos, you know. Yeah. So um, I had to talk Roy into taking some photos, okay. you know, and stuff. Cause we were just, he's like, had his knife out. I'm like, no, no, we got to take some photos. You right. Know? And so we get all done with the old photo op and I start to jump in. I go, we get this thing rolled over. He goes, why? I go, cause we're going to gut it. Um, he's like, we're not cutting this. <laughs> he's like, we're and He's just into that thing full on capes it. I mean, I'm just holding and pulling and right. taking shoulders off and and this guy's like, I'm looking at him like, okay, my dad used a hatchet <laughs> and would like cut everything in half and put it on a horse. Yeah. And, you know, let my mom quartered up when we got at home. Right. Oh my gosh, this guy. Because Roy, Roy trapped forever. So oh, he yeah. was so used to skinning out, right. you know, whatever he's catching in the traps. But yeah, he was and so fast. Ray, and then- Ray had to teach him. Ray had yeah. to just been a master butcher himself, but well, they they grew up. He's born in Wisconsin and on a dairy farm. Oh yeah. So I think Cattle. you just you just learn so much being right. in that situation. It's like way more. Just I like to like to call it capable. You right. just know a lot about a lot. Right. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And uh, so <clears> I think it was from that, and then the trapping, and then you know with the foundations. You know how you're always bent over. You know how your back oh. gets so. F- so on oh. fire from bending over working on animals, but Roy could do it because he's used to tying, tying foundations together, oh, you yeah. know, and, uh, or I mean the forms for foundations. So he's bent over all the time. So with a knife, with all that easy yeah. work. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just no, amazing. He was unbelievable individual, you know, in every way. I mean, I sat with him on a campfire, you know, I think it was the night we spotted that bull, mm-hmm. you know, and we were going in on it the next day and, and we just sat there and I, you know, there was such a side to Roy that, you know, he was, you know, we we're both believers. Mm-hmm. And I was probably, you know, at the time I was probably just living for myself. I, I'd, I'd been dedicated and then, you know, gave my heart and life to Christ. It was crazy, unbelievable experience for me. But by the time I was there, you know, I was in a broken marriage. I was, I was just in a kind of a dark place, you know, but, you know, I watched Roy that night, you know, and he just, he, we were sitting there and just out of the blue, he just puts his, he was singing like he always singing mm-hmm. and he just stops and he puts his hands in, you know, he puts his head in his hands and he's sitting there and he, and he just, he just kind of looks at me and he goes, you know, hunting means too much to me because it just means too much. He goes, I, he goes, I, he goes, I just, I just trying to get a handle on it, but he goes, I just don't know. You know, he goes, I, I need to pray about it. He goes, but it just means too much. And I'd never, you know, I, I just, it was just like, you know, I never even had that thought, you know, because I was, that's all I thought about mm-hmm. was hunting. I mean, yeah. I, there was nothing else in my mind, you know, and, and it made me step back and think, you know, that's why he, who he, that's why he, who he is. Yeah. Yeah. Because, 
because he's sensitive to what God wanted, right? You know, for his life. Yeah. And and I wasn't at that time. I was just totally selfish, living my own way. Even though I'd had the an unbelievable experience when I was 18 years old, you know, where I was like the rottenest kid in the whole entire world, and. I was following a girl to church and, you know, youth pastor asked me, he goes, Wayne, he goes, you die right now. If you die right now, where where are you going to go? I think a lot of you guys will be interested in this next sponsor. First Light Farms is a New Zealand based farm that ships elk meat straight to your door. The reality is not everyone's going to fill their tag every year. So First Light Farms is ready to fill your freezer with lean protein that is high in iron, zinc and B vitamins. To tell you the truth, I've been pretty surprised at how tender the meat is from First Light Farms. And I guess it's because they have no natural predators in New Zealand, so the elk live a pretty low-stress life, and you can taste that in the meat. They're offering listeners of the podcast a 15% discount using code CAM15 at stateclub.firstlight.farms. The link will be in the show notes of the podcast for those interested. Cabela's and Bass Pro Shops is a sponsor of the podcast, and that's especially powerful for me because I remember when Cabela's came to town, came to Springfield, Oregon, and I actually played a role in the opening of that store. Instead of cutting the grand opening ribbon with scissors, I shot it with an arrow, and it was just a monumental thing. I mean, everybody here in town was talking about, hey, are you going to go to Cabela's? Can you believe Cabela's is coming here to Springfield, Oregon? So I know what a staple those giants in the industry are. And it's actually, it's one of the first places people go when they're looking to get geared up to be to become a hunter is they go to Cabela's and buy everything they need. So I'm very excited that we've partnered together and we can help open up those outdoor and hunting opportunities to listeners of this podcast. Leupold Optics has been providing my binoculars and eyewear for the last few years. I like that it's an Oregon company and they make such high quality glass. It's all I've really used. And if you can't find what you're hunting, it's going to be tough to kill. So Leupold Optics has really played an integral part in my success these last few years. Thank you, Leupold, for supporting the podcast. And I'm like, well, without a doubt, I'm going to hell. I knew that. I mean, mm-hmm. I knew that was written on my heart. I mean... I was, I had a dark heart. I wasn't there. I didn't like church. I didn't like anything about it. I didn't like anything about God. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just a short period of time after that. I just had to, I had to be honest with myself, you know, that man, <clears throat> I didn't know there was a way out. I'd never heard the gospel. I mean, my parents were great people and they were good moral people, but you know, they, they didn't know, they didn't know God. I mm-hmm. mean, it's like fishing. I mean, you talk to somebody very long, it's, you know, a steelhead or salmon fisherman or a bow hunter or a big time bow hunter. You don't have to talk very long, you know, with and them and you, you either know out, yeah. they're a poser mm-hmm. or they're actually the real thing. Yeah. You know, and so if you, if you come to a relationship with Christ, I mean, you don't have to talk to somebody very long right. to know whether they actually have experienced that or not. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the one time that I really was honest with myself and, and I had somebody kind of lead me in a prayer because I was ready. I mean, I'm like, yeah, I want to go to heaven. And they led me in a prayer and I actually, I actually had demons go out of me. I felt hot air go out of me mm. and I felt clean for the first time in my wow. whole entire life. You know, and then when you meet other believers, I mean, I, when I met Roy, I mean, I just knew right away. I mean, we didn't have to talk very long. And he's like, dude, yeah, I'm a believer. I, you know, go to the assembly of God and mm-hmm. Mohawk and, you know, mm-hmm. my wife. And he's just like, yeah, I, you know, he's, he, he just had that heart. Yeah. You know, and he was just such an awesome individual. My biggest, 
I, it took me years to get up to where like I was ready to go to Kodiak mm-hmm. and, and, and Nate Simmons did that, that whole video it was kind of, it was our hunt, but it was kind of a memorial to, you know, Western hunter, you know, when Nate did that, it was, it was a whole memorial to Roy mm-hmm. really. And I mean, honestly, in that whole hunt, you know, I was just kind of broken hearted the whole time and I wasn't going to go, I was going to cancel and Bob Amin and Jonas Stewart and they all grabbed me like, no, you're going, Roy would want you to go. And this was at, at Roy's service when we lost Roy because mm-hmm. two weeks later we were supposed to go to Kodiak mm-hmm. and I had a full on planned on, no, I'm not going because I don't know where I'm going. I, right. I don't know any logistics. I didn't have any gear. I was just planning. Roy had all that. I mean, Roy was the one guy. I mean, that's the only time in Roy in, in the whole time that, that Roy ever canceled on a hunt trip. Because mm-hmm. I mean, he was the guy that anytime we were when we were kids and we were younger, if you're gonna go, yeah, Roy's there, yeah, he's never canceling, he's gonna be there. He was that guy, and so we were supposed to go to Kodiak two weeks after the sheep accident, mm-hmm. we lost him, yeah. and uh, and I wanted to, see, I wanted to have my son experience a hunting trip with Roy, I really did. I wanted Nate to experience that, you know, and when I was in the airport. You know, I made a phone call, you know, and I just sit in there and the Lord just says, you need to call Nate Simmons and you need to call uh, Steve Howard. And I did. I called him in the airport and I just said, look, I mean, you, you, you dropped me off. You and Trace had dropped me off. And I, and I just said, look, um, I'm going to go on this hunt. And, and I know it's a short notice. I mean, it's like a week, we had like 13 days or 14 days and somehow they both said yes. And somehow Nate, uh, secured a filming permit for Western Hunter to do that show. Mm-hmm. And so I can't remember what season it's on. I've got the DVD, but you know, the whole time, I mean, it was just, you know, it was just like Roy was just like, this was Roy's hunting ground. This is what he loved. This is where he loved to be. And the one thing you could count on Roy is that he was going to, he was going to smell out the number one hunting area mm-hmm. for blacktail on all of Kodiak. Yeah. You could, you could count on that Yeah, because he was that guy. He was. I mean, Dave Chapman has a story about Roy where Dave was flown out with his pilot and the whole time Roy's arguing with the pilot on where to drop him off. You've heard this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was on, I think he talked about it on his podcast mm-hmm. and, and they land. Well, Dave's just going to hunt caribou right where he's at. Mm-hmm. And Roy's area is like, 13 or 14 miles away across Muskeg or something Yeah, to even get to his unit. Yeah. And then, and the whole time he's arguing with the pilot, pilot just dumps him out. Well, Roy's gone. Yeah. And he makes it back. And Dave talks about the whole thing. And I heard it from both sides because Roy told me the story and then, and Dave told it, but I mean, literally the toughest, kindest, most unbelievable individual I've ever hunted with in my life. And we both mm-hmm. were both super blessed and super gifted that we had that time with Roy. We, we are beyond imagination. He, he impacted us like, like we didn't deserve it, like unworthy that we could have a guy like that. And, and to know he's in heaven, I mean, it comforts me. Because I know, you know, the Lord loved him so much that it's like if there was a multiple choice on how you're going to go, he went the way he wanted to go. Yeah. And and the Lord just looked down like this guy's such an awesome. This guy's such a prince. You know, we're going to he, he's he, he belongs he belongs with us in heaven right now. He's yeah. such a prince. But you know, he's just it's it's just the fact that uh, 
he was just that guy. I mean, once in a lifetime type guy. Mm-hmm. And we've known a lot of them. I mean, there's all kinds of them. There was some, there's some. We were talking about uh, Mark Ludwig the other day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a totally different spectrum type of guy. But the fact that you get to know those people. Yeah. You know, and then some of our mentors like Larry Jones and Dwight Shue and, you know, in the later years, I got to be good friends with Dwight and, you know, spend some time with him. We'd call and talk. He wanted to hunt the same unit I'd been hunting in Wyoming with right. a lot of, you know, he had the points and he was just, he was sick. And, you know, it was just, you know, just the awesome experiences we've had. Neil Summers, mm-hmm. you know, another great bow hunter, great guy. Call him anytime, ask him anything, just full of information for you. You know, and if I can be anything to anybody, I want to be that. Yeah. You know, with my time left to these younger guys that are coming up. And if I can help them with the equipment and make them comfortable with the equipment, that's just one part of it. Yeah. But, you know, that just, it just kind of gives you that, that sense of purpose, you know. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And, and giving back, it's like we've, we've transitioned. We were the young guys. Now we're the old guys. And so that's why to me, I love doing this lift run shoot with, with not so much people already bo- that bow hunt, you know, right. it's just like we got yeah. them. What we need, I want to share this, something that's impacted us so greatly with people who maybe otherwise wouldn't. And now we're the guys, we're we're the old guys that, you know, whatever. Yeah. We're maybe we're not as good as we once were, but, uh, we can still get it done. Oh yeah. And it it's, I think it's so vital and it's one reason why, um, I, I don't know. I love the positive aspect of bringing them to your shop. You going through the, the basics, you, like really teaching them how to do it right because right. there's nobody nobody can question your passion for bow hunting or for archery and having somebody like that i think changes everything so your goal what you say you want to do you want to be like we had those old guys that we had you want to be that for these and you're doing it and right. it's uh it's well, yeah in um, in you know as far as the beginning you know, there was there was so many people I can't even start to name that have helped me, you know, so much over the years. You know, I remember we, I, we lost Terry Gent. Terry Gent was president of what now is Umpqua Bank back then was Centennial. And, you know, back I, I was swinging a hammer. I worked outside of the shop, you know, through the 90s for a lot of years. Lisa would run the shop mm-hmm. with one employee, Jamie Coleman. Mm-hmm. And and I would swing a hammer in the wintertime because, I mean, you know, we weren't making Pretty it. Pretty slow, yeah. Yeah, it was it was different times. And, um, you know, I I just, you know, one day I'm just like, I've, I've got I've to get a handle on this. You mm-hmm. know, I've got to be able to make a living at this. And so, you know, I went... One, there was a piece of property where I'm at now. It came up for sale and I'd been swinging a hammer enough. What, you know, what an opportunity. I mean, Steve Johnson was, I I think he came in, he'd been shooting league and, and, uh, and Steve's like, well, if you want a job, I give you a job framing. Well, what an opportunity to learn how to frame houses and guys like Steve Johnson and Pete Wadsworth and Todd Mayhem and, and Jerry Sherman, all these guys that I work with, they're all young guys. And Mm -hmm. I'm like the old guy in the crew, but what an opportunity to go learn. You give these guys a nail gun, a saw, and a, 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 a framing square and a pencil, and they build the Taj Mahal for yeah, you. I mean, so there was talented. nothing they couldn't do. We were doing Street of Dreams homes. Mm-hmm. And like, if there was seven, you know, Street of Dreams homes at Valley River Village in the tour, mm-hmm. Steve would land seven of them. Yeah. Or five of them. Talented and, and then there's seven of us framers, so we're all spread thin. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he had a great reputation for framing a great house, doing an awesome job, mm-hmm. big house, 
very efficient and perfect. And so I learned from those guys. So like when this when this lot came up for sale, I went to I went to see Terry. Well, Terry was a bow hunter, mm. and uh, and I just walk into his office, and he'd known me, done business with me, different time of uh, you know different times we were living in, and I walk in. And I go, Terry, I go, there's a, there's a lot for sale down the street. And I go, yeah, I'm thinking about building a building. I know how to do it. I could do it myself. I'll build the whole entire building myself. And Jeff Brooks will help me with the concrete because Jeff did concrete, right. has his own concrete business. I go, I'm going to just do everything. And I go, I think I can save a lot of money and I think I can, I can get it done for a small amount of money. Mm-hmm. This is Terry. He opens up the drawer and he, and he looks in his drawer and he looks at me looks in his drawer and he throws a blank bunch of checks across and he goes, come back in next week and sign some stuff. But he goes, I'll activate that. And he goes, go buy the property. Wow. And he goes, we'll just do it all on a line of credit. And when you're done, we'll switch it over to an SBA loan. Jeez. And I'm just like, awesome. Yeah. So I couldn't get a hold of the guy quick enough. <laughs> it was like, no, a real estate guy. It was just this guy had $56,000 for that lot I got, right? It's long and narrow. And yeah. man, I'm over with Jay Marcotte and Rick Roberts. And Rick draws the plans for me. I'm at the city. And before you know it, I'm swinging a hammer and I'm building this building. And, you know, it's coming together. And I'm like, you know, it's it's awesome. You know, I'm just like, it, it was it was me making the commitment that, you know, mm-hmm. this is where I'm going. And now it's a destination. Yeah. People know, everybody knows the And we're going to make rack. it better. And it, it's starting in October. I'm going to expand. I'm going to add 1,800 square feet. So I'm excited about that. Just met with the city before I came over to talk with you. And, and it's it, they was like, yeah, go for it. It's, it's all a go. We got to just dot some I's and cross some T's and... You know, but it all looks great. So we're going to make it better. We're going to make it bigger and we're going to make it a little better. We're going to add about 1,800 to 2,000 square feet to it. So this can be good. Man. Well, I'm still held. I got to stay healthy enough that I can get that, that construction <laughs> job done. Well, you are the herd bull. Well, I, a, I always say, yeah. I'm going to pull in another herd bull. I got a little, uh, little Tim McMahon. He ran Essex Cruise forever. Yeah. Tim's awesome. Yeah. He's so funny. He's the funniest guy ever. Hunted with him in, in Wyoming. And I laugh so much. I mean, he's kind of like Roy, you know. Tim's yeah. just always is, is never anything serious. He's just the biggest you know, funniest guy, just always cracking jokes. And I just had a great time with him. He, he, I already talked to him about it. So he, it's not surprised that I'm going to pull him out of retirement to there come you help go. me. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a good hand. <laughs> He'll keep me straight. He goes, we need to hire a framing crew. I go, you're looking at him. <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing I respect about you. You do a lot of work. I oh, mean, you're one of the hardest working guys I know. I, I enjoy it. You know, I, I think, I think Thomas Edison had a, had a quote one time. He said, opportunity often disguises itself as hard work. Yeah, right. As you, you, I think we have lights. <laughs> yeah, he, have he was on to something. He, he had something, something going on there. I'm sure he worked really hard at it. I was, I was curious. I mean, I remember, and you probably remember better than me, but back in the day, we used to shoot league Oh yeah, at the Borak. How, yeah. how was Roy shooting league? Do you remember? You know, Roy, Roy wasn't the best shot, but it didn't matter because, I mean, Neither was Jim Carter. Right. Jimmy missed a walk back one time from 10 yards back to 20. And his wife at the time hit all eights and tens. Yeah. But Jim 
was just relentless. Right. I mean, like if he had to stab, if he didn't have anything left for arrows and he found a you know knife in his pack, he's going to stab him with the knife. Right. Yeah. I mean, those guys get it done. Right. You know, and Roy was that guy. I mean, it didn't matter what Roy shot. Like Roy was incredible. I mean, he picked up a recurve. How many brown bear did he kill with his recurve? I don't know. I mean, he, sheep. Yeah. He killed nine brown bear and nine sheep. I think I, oh, I don't know. Gosh. I don't, not the all of them with, with his traditional bow. Yeah. Not all of them with the traditional, but I mean, and he called me one time. He's like, look, I've been struggling with target panic. I think I'm going to shoot a traditional bow for a while. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Well, yeah, you had no doubt he was going to get it done, right? Oh, it's no. Like, yeah. No, he killed giant animals with that yeah. thing. He yeah. was just, just a, it didn't really matter what yeah, he used. I know. He, but, he had such great stories. You know, he came and he, you know, for like the last three years there, he came down and stayed in the barn mm -hmm. and hunted blacktail. Yeah. And of course, I sent him to the high country and... And he had a lot of fun up there, you know. Um, but the most fun I had is I was working and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't hunting yet because he came pretty early in the season, I think, right when it opened. Yeah. And uh, they'd corresponded with other family here and stuff. But Roy, of course, he was hunting. And I just was looking forward to when he was staying out there. I'd go out and listen to all his stories because, I mean, he had such he crazy did. stories. He did. He he was, to me, I mean, kind of how you said that, that guiding light a little bit because we're you guys talked in the Steens, um, where he thought bow hunting meant too much to him. You know, he's worried mm -hmm. about that. Well, that was me too. And I, I never had that balance of, he had, he knew that it shouldn't be like that. He should be doing more for God. I didn't have that. All, all I cared about was bow hunting. Right. I didn't care about anybody else. Oh, I, yeah. I didn't care about anything else. All I wanted to do is bow hunt. So that was our common thing. I just didn't have the positive balance that he had. Mm -hmm. And he helped me with that. Right. That was where, you could, he never felt like, it never felt like he was preaching. It never felt like he was scolding. He was just there and just offering good, good advice. Right. You know, and, and you could tell him anything. Yeah. And oh, he no, wouldn't you judge talk you. to Roy about anything, mm -hmm. you know, and he was such a, he's such a loving individual. What, there was 675 people or something like that that came to his, his service. I mean, and, and I never forget, you know, cause you know, a father's love for his son is incredible, but when Ray stood up and said, He's just, he, he was just, he goes, I'm just so impressed that my son could touch so many people, you know, and he touched way more than it was there. Those are yeah. just the people that came, I know, you know, and, and he, he, he was here mm -hmm. and then he was in Alaska, Yeah, you know, and, and all the old sheep hunters that all turned out that had so much respect for him. I mean, you know, you know, you're in greatness when somebody can go to a land that they're not native from mm -hmm. and within a short period of time become a legend Yeah, in more than one way in humanity. Yeah. In, in, in a human, you know, just because he loved his fellow man so much, Yeah, you know, sure. They, they looked at his accomplishments and I remember Jay Marcotte come back and Jay had been up there hunting cause he had family up there and he went to, I can't remember which one of the local archery shops there, but I think it was in Anchorage and they had a map. And on that map was all a map, and they had pins back then of every place that people, you know, they had different color pins for caribou and right. moose and bear. And and there was this pin, and Jay took a picture of it and brought mm -hmm. it back. It was old 35 millimeter days, and he shows it to me. And there was this pin that was like way, way out, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And it had this note written on it, and it said, this guy from Oregon that moved up here and shot a moose out in the middle of the muskag 
It took him like, and the whole thing five was written days. out. It was five days to pack it out. Five days by himself to pack <laughs> it out. And weren't they search and rescue went out looking for him? And he's still like, he's almost he, done. Doing the leapfrog. Yeah. Leapfrog Because he'd been gone for so long, but yeah. it, he had the snow and the good weather, but oh. he's so far back packing a moose by himself five days. And and I remember Roy telling the story. He's like, dude, I got out there and I get up on this point and I spot this giant bull and it's way out there. He's like, I'm going. Yeah, I'm there, doing it. There's because no, he knew no, no fear. limit. No. No. And I mean, you know, the more confidence you have, I mean, fear is a terrible thing. And I mean, fear hampers us. I mean, we just got done with a period of time in our history where fear is is totally gripped a nation mm -hmm. and 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 actually changed the culture yeah. of a nation. Right. But you know, fear's not a spirit of the Lord. I mean, the you know, the Bible says that. Fear's not a spirit of the Lord. Mm -hmm. You're to fear God. That's the only fear you're to have. You know, outside of that, fear's a horrible thing. Right. And so it it, it just totally handicaps everything. Mm -hmm. Roy knew who he was. Yeah. You know, he, he knew definitely who he was. No and he fear. knew who he was in God. And he had no fear of anything. Yeah. You know, there there was so many stories. I remember, you know, because I grew up trapping. And so Roy was talking and telling me stories about, um, about wolverine trapping. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, when we were up there hunting, when you and I were up there hunting with him yeah. for brown bear, mm -hmm. you know, there's just wolverine tracks everywhere. Yeah. You know, and so, um, you know, after that, when he came down and, and I think it was the next year, and he, he's, he's like, yeah, he goes, those Wolverines, he's worth 675 bucks, I think, at the time. You know, I'm like, wow, that's good money. He goes, yeah, but he goes, oh, my gosh. He goes, it's treacherous. And he said one time, he goes, there's no daylight. You know, you don't need daylight to trap anyway. You know, right. so I'm out and running my trap line. Well, there's some warm weather come through. Well, I get this big river I got to cross. And he goes, got my trailer, got my sled. You know, I'm on my big snow machine and I'm halfway across and I fall through the mm -hmm. ice. And he goes, I don't just fall through. I fall through. Mm -hmm. And he goes, I'm in the water. He goes, I got to swim back to my sled to get rope because I got to tie this sled off. Yeah. Because without the sled. And he goes, I grab my sleep bag. He goes, I grab some rope. I tie it off. I swim across the ice. I get out. I'm not good. And he goes, I got my sat phone. He goes, I got my sleep bag. He goes, I get this thing roped off. I tie it off to a tree on the bank. And I get in the sleep bag. He goes, I got to get all the clothes off. He goes, they're so stiff. He goes, you got to get them off quick. Right. Because he goes, once they turn rock hard, you can't get them off. Mm -hmm. So I get all my clothes off and get in the sleep bag. And he goes, he goes, Jill always loves these, these calls. That's what he tells me. <laughs> and he goes, I call Jill. And he goes, tell Jeremy. Jeremy, yeah. Yeah. He goes, this is where I'm at. He goes, I need chainsaws. I need, we need stuff to build fires. I need gas. I need, he just lines him out. He's 75 miles on a snow machine yeah. from Jeremy. Right. Jeremy, and, and and God bless that guy. I know. Jumps just immediately, jumps to action, gets everything he needs, goes out there. They, you know, gets to Roy's, got clothes for him. Of course, Roy, Roy said, I was teetering. I would have been dead. Yeah. There's no way. I would yeah. have froze to most, death. He would have came up on be. a guy's froze to death. I'm, yeah. I am not that guy. I'm not Roy. Right. I'm not, the, I'm not Arnold Schwarzenegger. No way am I Roy Roth, yeah. you know, there's mm -hmm. no way because that was always my term. I mean, Roy was Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. under all that, but he said that they sawed that snow machine out. Mm -hmm. They had a chainsaw winch. They winched it out. Then they had to build fires around it to melt the ice because it's frozen. They can't, the snow machine's not going to move because right. it's a big ball of ice mm -hmm. and they get it all done. And what's Roy do? This goes right back to trapping. <laughs> 
He doesn't come home. No. <laughs> doesn't doesn't go. I think I'm going to rethink this thing. No, he's no. he's just back at it. He, uh, he was just a hiccup in, in, in you know in his life. I mean, just a solving. small little problem solved. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, oh he was made for Alaska. A big part of hunting, the backcountry, is problem solving. And logistics, oh. you know, and just being tough and just fi- and not panicking. <laughs> no matter what happened, he would never panic. He'd right. be like, "Okay, this is what we got to do." And a Jer- you mentioned Jeremy that he was the one who was with Roy. They had been watching this brown bear come out of the den <laughs> up in that same country where, where we killed our bear, right? And watching it come out, and then they're watching this den for a while. You know, normally the bear are in and out, in and out, getting their stomachs kind of warmed up, and after coming out um, from winter. And uh, nothing had come out. So he's like, hey, I want to go up there and look at that den and, and see how big it is. So really, they, they like to den up on really steep hills. Yeah. And so he climbs, has to use a shovel to, to cut foot, footholds all the way up that hill. And he's in there and, and, and Jeremy's there. And he's like, Roy's like, I'm going to stick my head in and just kind of have a look around. So he sticks his head in and comes face to face with the big old brown oh, yeah, bear. No idea. A 10-foot brown bear. Great. And this bear took a swipe at him. <laughs> Roy goes piling back, hits Jeremy in the face with the shovel. With that shovel. And uh, and Jeremy from the hip, I think has like a 375 mag or whatever. But anyway, from the hip, shoots that bear because they'd come out on the lip and is looking at Roy and folded it like a duck. And the and the bear slid down over, over the top Rolls of Roy. Rolls over Roy, right? Yes, yeah. And Roy a stands giant. up he's like... I'm good. Yeah, I know. He <laughs> and Jeremy's like, I'm not. He's like, I know. Me in the nose. His nose is bleeding. bleeding. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Bro, like, broke his nose. He said he nearly knocked him out. He said he could hardly even see to shoot the bear when it went by. And Roy called from the satellite phone right after that. He was so fired up. This was like greatest story ever. But that's uh, remember he told that we used to have that big hunters rendezvous. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and he goes. Roy goes, okay, I'm not lying. You can't make this stuff up. I <laughs> right. actually did this. <laughs> I know. Anybody else, it would probably be a big a big fabricated story, but oh. Roy didn't have to make up stories. No. His no. stories was... seemed like they were made up. But you started to tell, I wanted you to go back in that first pack out, because I know it was a hard pack out oh. of your bull on the Steens. And so, that was your first experience pretty much with Roy. Yeah, that, that bull... We get done butchering that and we switch off, you know, and I, I'm, I'm 20, I can remember my age because it, it was, this was an imprint because it, it, it just cut me to the core, um, as an arrogant, you know, selfish, you know, self-centered 27 year old man. I, um, we killed this bull and Roy and I switch off. We got the head in the cape, but we don't have our pack boards. You didn't hunt with pack boards back then. Right. We didn't have good packs. You know, they, they rattled, they made noise, they had all these little clips, you know, but we had those big metal yeah. frame packs, you know. And so, you know, we got to haul this head and cape out, but we got everything boned and sacked up and waiting for us, you know. So, you know, we we get we get it out, we sleep that night, you know, and Roy was great at, at dreams. Yeah. Remember that? Oh, I know. Yeah. He'd so be walking around or great, fighting. Oh, my God. We just had a great day. And I'm a light sleeper. I, yeah. I still I still don't even sleep. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I close my eyes, but everything wakes me up. I mean, you know, and so I'm 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 laying there, you know, I'm tired. We just had this great hunt. I'm pumped. I'm just jacked because we just killed this bull. But I'm not really sleeping. I'm just kind of sleeping. Right. And all of a sudden Roy just sits up 
And he's just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's giant, it's just shoot, shoot. And I go, oh my gosh, oh my, and I don't know what to do. Like he's screaming. Right. And I'm like, we're in the back of my, I, I think I had an old 85 Toyota truck mm -hmm. at the time, old diesel, that old diesel Toyota yeah, I had, you yeah. know, it was a turbo diesel, great truck, four wheel drive. <laughs> and he just, he just lays back down and goes right back to snoring. And then a little bit later, it goes on again, and he was yelling about something else. And I'm just like, so the next morning, I'm like, um, so Roy, um, do you, you remember like having kind of an episode last night? He goes, oh, he goes, dude, he goes, did I, did, did I, did I, did there yeah. was something going on? Did I, did I like talk in my sleep? I go, did you talk? I mean, you stood up and like was full on yelling Screaming, in the back yeah. of the truck. He's like, okay, if I do that, just hit me and tell me to shut up and go back to sleep because that's what Jill has to do all the time. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like this poor woman. Yeah. <laughs> and it went on a lot after yeah. that because, you know, we hunted a lot. Yeah, yeah. You know, after that. So every time, I mean, you could count on Roy. Roy and Dwayne Levitt did the same thing. Okay. Except Dwayne's dreams always involved women. <laughs> you know, pink polka dotted bikinis. I mean, yeah. one time he just woke up and was just screaming pink polka dotted bikinis. You know? <laughs> But that was, you'd have to know Levitt. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so yeah. So the next day we grab these pack boards and we head off in there. And, you know, the whole time dropping in, I'm like, okay, I think I'm somebody. Yeah. I've been, I'd run, you know, every year my running was seasonal, you know, and so I'd run and get in shape and Stairmaster at the gym and, you know, work out in the gym and, and get to, so we're all the way in there. I'm thinking, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull my own here, right? You know I'm, I'm yeah. you know this, this is gonna dude, be competitive. You I'm used competitive. to do pull ups at the gym with, with 45 pound plates hanging, and you just be knocking out. pull-ups. I remember the first time I saw you in the <laughs> yeah. gym. Yeah, I think I was doing dips with, and I'm I'm sitting there, I'm all focused, and and I hear somebody go, "What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> I go, "Hey Cam," and you go, "I'm just just working out." He goes, "You go, I'm gonna tan." <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I used to go over there just to go tan. Like, like I was, and I'm like, and you, you, you just, we got to break for a second because the whole time I'm thinking I, I'm got to work to be cool. Right. And yeah. back then I would think I was single and, you know, I'm trying to look good and be somebody and everything, but you had me beat. <laughs> I don't be think so. No, no. You had me beat. Cause, cause there's like, and I've said it before, but, you know, and you've never heard me say it, but there's like, you know, coolest actors I could think of in Hollywood at the time. Like, like there's John Wayne and there's Yule Brenner and Clint Eastwood. And then there's Cameron Haynes. Oh, no, God. serious. I mean, I'm serious as a heart attack. He, I always thought, you know, I'd tell guys, he hunt, he's like one of the best hunters I know. And he's an awesome dude, but he could have went, he could have went with, with Clint if they were the same age and went down there and he had had a career in Hollywood because <laughs> honestly, there's nobody cooler than Cameron Haynes because you just had that mantra because I was just, and after you walked away from that, I'm like, oh, I, I probably should be, I should be just tanning and, <laughs> and you dressed well too. Like I always had the same clothes I'd probably wore since ninth grade, right? right? They didn't change. They were just jeans and a button up shirt, just like I am today. Same hairstyle. You had different hairstyles at times. Wow. And you were wearing the, the, I didn't even know what designer was. I didn't even know what it was, but I mean, you had it going on and I just like, I need to pick up my game. <laughs> I didn't look like Why Rob Why am I Lowe. working out? I need to just, I need to do what Cam's doing. But anyway, that's just a side note. But 
Back to Roy. So we're dropping in there and we get to that carcass and, you know, we load up all that meat and we split that elk right down half. And mm-hmm. I mean, we're having to help each other up. We got, we got neck meat, back straps, tenderloins. We got all the scraps. We split it down the middle and we got a hind quarter and a shoulder a piece. Mm. We're heavy. It's a big load. We're heavy. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm young. I got vinegar, you know, yeah, in my yeah, veins. I yeah. mean, I got it going on. And so we, we go and we, we get to the base of the hill and Roy just instantly, we hit that grade. You know, I was with him to the grade. And, you know, if you've ever been in the Kiger Gorge, I'll say it. We hunted that. It's as legit. Kids. If you've ever been in the Kiger, you know, I think it's 3,500 feet from top to bottom. Yeah. There's no trails. It's marbles. It's yeah. volcanic rock. It's rough There's country. There's no soil. It's sagebrush. Mm-hmm. It's wire. It's crap. It's hard to traverse. And we start up this straight up and downhill. We're going to go straight up and out the mouse, what we used to call the mouse trap. Mm-hmm. We're going to go out the mouse trap with this thing. And That's a pole. It's a pole. And I look up, and Roy's 50 yards ahead of me. Another 300 yards, Roy's 150 yards ahead of me. Pretty soon, Roy's 200 bloody yards ahead of me. And I, as the hardest thing I could do to say, Roy, buddy, you, you got to take a break. Just let me catch up. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking, there's no way. Right. I mean, what is wrong with me? Then no, you start second guessing yourself, right. right? Yeah. It's like like when we were up there, you know, hunting brown bear. Yeah. You know, Roy could pick those snow machines up because we'd get them stuck. We'd roll them. Here comes Roy. He just picks it up and puts it back on hard snow and goes, look, I don't care. I don't want to hear how you wreck. I just don't want you to do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he told Nate Simmons he was the worst snow, snow machine rider he's ever seen. <laughs> because that country and Roy was such a good teacher, right? But that country he just loads you guys on the snow machines because oh. Nate. I get there. Nate is he is road rashed on the side of his yeah. face. I can see his collarbones road rash. He's all down, and I'm like, Nate, what happened? He goes, This is the thousand ways to die. Yeah, he <laughs> that, and it's not just like pretty flat snow machine. Oh. It's this country was insane. Well, that happened on the lake when you guys, because, you know, Roy just, you know, he, Nate never been on a snow machine. Right. Right. Yeah. So Either they start out across that lake and it's hard ice, you know, yeah. and they get to going and Nate's like, it just started to tip over. And he goes, I just thought it couldn't be doing this. It's, it's a snow machine, right? <laughs> yeah. He didn't know he had to lean with it like a bike. You I know. know. And it's so a he workout. just goes over and he, and he was pinned with it. So he's yeah. sliding out across the ice, you know. We, uh, we left him in a cabin, his snow machine broke down. And so we took off and we said, okay. And that, that Hayes river cabin way up there, it's like 150 miles from anywhere. And you said, okay, we'll send the plane after you. And it was like a days and we were (laughs) off. I killed a bear. We were back at the other cabin. Uh, Nate thought we left him and he's like, is anybody coming to get me back here? And we, that's just. You know, that country. Okay, is- you got to tell the story about you guys up there at the top. Uh, when Roy took you up because there was so much snow. So that was a record yeah. year. That was 2012. Yeah, we could get anywhere. Record snow year. Mm. So Roy was like, he's like, you know, new Roy, country. New country. Yeah. Adventure, right? Yeah. We could go where I've never been. Right. Well, he took you up to a place that you guys couldn't get out of because you had to switch back up and it. You got to go straight down with those snow machines. It's not like you can like go over there. Go over there. No. It's a straight shot down. Yeah, it's uh, we were at the top of this mountain that normally you'd never be able to get to, right. but because of the snow, we could. And it was hard getting there. It's like 
there's these big holes and you'd have to like lean into the hill with the one ski and be going full speed right. just to get past that hole. Otherwise you'd get sucked oh, down in it. Right. You know, you know how it goes. Oh yeah. And so we somehow got all the <clears> way up to the top of this mountain, <laughs> this big, big mountain there. And we're looking for, you know, new country. Hey, promised land. Are we going to get to where we've never been? Right. Arroyd never been. He's hunting up there all the time. So we're at the top of that mountain. And what we do is Roy would go first and he'd go down and then you'd just be like watching, watching, watching. <laughs> and however long it took him to come out of the bottom and how small he was is that's how far the drop was. Right. Oh, so yeah. He dropped off that mountain and we're sitting up there watching and it's like nothing, nothing, nothing. Finally, I don't know how long it was, but there's a little dot that comes out. And I was just like, oh, my God, that's so far. This is oh, the yeah. biggest. drop. And Nate goes, I'm not doing it. I, I, I can't do this. And I said, well, well, you can't go back that way. No, no, I know. You, I said, you have to. And he's like, he goes, oh, I, I don't know if I can do it. And I said, all right, well, let me just go down. You follow me, just hang on. And so I go well, down. Well, didn't, didn't you go, look, um, so if I don't make it, <laughs> tell my wife and my kids I love them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, Nate, Nate was all excited to show me what you guys came off of. Oh, okay, yeah. And, and literally, it's Mount Everest. Yes. it's Yeah, it's literally Mount Everest. Yeah. I mean, it's like McKinley up there, but it's not McKinley, but you it's close know. to it. You don't know if you're going to make it. And so I, I drop off, go down, I get to Roy and he's like, we're looking way up there, Nate. And he's, you know, it's, it's a long way up there. And, and Roy's like, what's going on? And I said, oh, I said, he's, I don't know. He says he can't do it. He goes, well, he has to do it. I said, I know I told him. And he, I said, I'm, I'm worried that we're going to lose a snow machine because the, the, the river was off to the one side. I mean, a complete drop off to the river. And I said, I go, let's go over, line these snow machines up just in case he comes off and that snow machine goes bombing towards the river. We can stop it. Right. And we don't lose a snow machine. So Nate saw us go line up over by that cliff over there on the right. And he's just like, <clears throat> they think I'm coming off this thing. And, and I, that, the yeah. show, it, he knew what, yeah, what no, we were he doing. He told me, he goes, this is a thousand ways to die show. Oh, he God. goes, he's just petrified. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, and, and like when, when I, I'm going to admit, you know, I, I've never rode a snow machine, but mm -hmm. I, I grew up on a motorcycle and, you know, quads and grew up on a farm. So, I mean, you just knew how to operate everything. Yeah. And you know, when I got there, you know, Roy told me all those stories, you know, that when we were all in the cabin that first night, he's yeah. like, I think he even said that he goes, look, I'm, he goes, I just have to, I just want them to stop wrecking. I don't care how they do it. I just don't want them to do it anymore. I know. You know, I don't want to hear about it. I got, you know? I got pictures of me with mine upside down and just stuff everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. And it's like, God. But, you know, I could see Nate was just petrified. He was. Yeah. And so he's like, the toughest kid too. Yeah, I, I mean, know. Or not a kid. Now he's a man, but he's always been so freaking tough in the lower 48. Yeah. I don't know. Oh if no, you, no. But I mean, outside but, of a machine, he's but up there. It's. It's different. Well, he's on a machine. I yeah. mean, Nate's, there's no fear in Nate, you know, no. put him on two feet. He's a great and He's going to hunt the best backcountry there. He's one of the best bow hunters I know. Mm -hmm. Like I said, we've met a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, by far, Nate Simmons is one of the most humble, kind-hearted kids. I got to tell you something else. You know, when I called him about the Kodiak trip, <clears throat> it wasn't probably three days later, Nate's mom calls me. Mm. And she goes, Wayne, she goes, I need to know everybody's name that is going on this trip mm -hmm. and i was like you know because I, I didn't know nate's mom i i think i'd maybe met her once and i'm thinking okay is somebody gonna get in trouble here is she doesn't want her son around somebody that i'm to taking pray, probably and, right 
it was what it was. Mm-hmm. She goes, I, I'm going to pray for, I need to pray specifically for every one of you for safety. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I told Nate, I go, how are you so blessed to have a mom like yeah. this? Yeah. Great family. Great family. His dad was so awesome. But anyway, Nate, I remember, you know, Nate Simmons came into the bow rack. He was playing baseball mm-hmm. at LCC, him and Matt Gustafson, um, uh, Brent Davis. I mean, they were all on that, on that baseball yeah, team. Good team. And Nate was kind of like a Wyatt Seabright. Yeah. Yeah. He was. I mean, he was at a different level mm-hmm. and just driven, you know, and loved every minute of, loved it so much that there's no way you were going to keep him out of a career. Right. And, you know, Hoyt guys got together for a sales meeting. This has been, I think three years ago and they were discussing TV, you know, who they should sponsor, you know, or is it TV, you know, we're sponsoring, you know, outdoor channel and everything. So they had this vote, you know, of who had the best show, you know, on TV and Nate Simmons won unanimously. Yeah. Not one Hoyt rep voted for anybody else, but Simmons. That's impressive. Yeah. It's impressive. And you know, that's just, this is a giant accomplishment in itself because mm-hmm. when you watch Nate's stuff, it's just different level. It it's is next level stuff. He's so good. He's so passionate. He puts all his heart into it. One of the best bow hunters you'll ever meet comprehensive mm-hmm. about every single step of it. You know, if you went with Nate, he's going to know that he's going to know the whole law whether it's federal law for filming or, you know, fly times, it yeah. doesn't matter what it is, you know, equipment restrictions, Nate knows it. Yeah. He is. He's quiet and so smart so and smart. so tough. <clears throat> well, it's, he was an electrician. He walked away from a electrical right. elect, uh, career as electrician. Yeah. You know, to go to work for Eastman's. Yeah. Yeah. As a cameraman I in know. the beginning. He yeah. was your cameraman, wasn't right. he? Right. Mm-hmm. Just incredible, incredible dude. But anyway, yeah, I could, but, but, you know, Nate, that was, you know, and so Nate was excited because when I showed up, you know, you were done, Mm -hmm. you'd already killed two bears. Yeah. And so, you know, Nate, Nate was like, oh boy, (laughs) (laughs) you're going to get your eyes. And I got to tell you the first couple of times, you know, Roy would just jump off over the edge. Mm -hmm. Simmons would ride up there and he goes, okay, this is probably one of those drops. You're not going to like this. Don't hit the brakes. It goes faster. Just yeah. Because Roy would give you any Start instruction sliding. at all. And no. Roy's just like, Roy saw that I could ride. He's like, yeah. oh, yeah, forget it. You know, he doesn't need anything, you know. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know, you know, anything about snow machines other than I, you know, had rode a bunch of different stuff. And so, yeah, you dump off one of those cornices. Yeah. We went off a cornice. Yeah. And it, you know, Roy's like, okay, this one could be bad. I think this one's got a cornice on it. But just just stay back on the snow machine and don't get too far forward because it could pogo stick and then you'd roll. Because <laughs> like, oh. so you dive it off of it straight and then, down and then you're in midair for a little bit and then you hit again. Yeah, it's like oh my gosh. Yeah, you know. But when I when we spotted my brown bear, you know, he came out. He was just walking across, but he was close to a, a hibernation hole. You know, and we're ripping to get over there. And I had this snow machine that would just die. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would just die for no reason. I the, Those machines knew Roy. He'd come back and open it up and mess around with a bunch of stuff. And, and it would start again. So I was I was in this. We, we came around and we were trying to get up this hill. And I was almost to the top. And it, and it spun out. Mm-hmm. And Roy comes back and he's like, how did you do this? I'm like, what happened to you not wanting to hear about how I did it? <laughs> Just don't do it anymore. Right. 
And he goes, are we going to have to roll around in the snow? <laughs> and wrestle. I'm looking at Roy. And yeah. he'd been out there with you guys. His nose is peeling. His ears, he wouldn't wear anything over his ears. Right. His ears were peeling. You know, and I just looking at him. He's looking a little grumpy. And I go, look, I go, it's going to be no competition. I go, you could just bury me out here in the snow. Let's just get this thing out. Right. He goes, we got to get on this bear. He goes, you can't be getting this stuck. I'm like, died. He goes, no. So then we're opening it up and trying to get it running again. Yeah. Finally got it going and we're back on it. And actually was able to get a couple arrows in that pair. Yeah. What, <laughs> an, was what an adventure. Oh, that was wild. But you know, such great people. I mean, that's like I said before, I mean, how in the world we were so blessed that we just landed in a place that, you know, we could be around so many good people. Yeah, I know. So <clears> many, <throat> I mean, it, not just the toughest people. It's mm-hmm. like, how, how does this happen in this little area that right. these truly legends, you, you mentioned Mark Ludwig, oh, he Mark. was like his own special freak specimen of an athlete. He was. And, and he was just, if you, if you've ever known somebody I, at his funeral, um, Nick, the pastor, Nick, you mm-hmm. know, he, he characterized him as an otter and I'm like, dude, you know him. Yeah. You knew Roy and in his service. And I mean, you know, I was just, I was just broken because, you know, he tried it once before. Oh, you said, you said, Roy, you mean Mark. I mean, Mark. Yeah. Mark. Right. Yeah, he, no, Mark. Yeah, he tried to kill himself once before. Yeah. 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 And I went to Mark and I made him promise, you mm-hmm. know, I made him promise me. I go, dude, just call me. Don't, don't do this again. Just yeah. call me, you know, and, uh, and Mark had it all planned. I mean, he thought it was what was best for his family. He had a couple of life insurance policies and they would pay out like 60%, even mm-hmm. if he did. And he waited right up to the day that yeah. they were good. He had three policies and he did it. Man. He thought that that was what was best for his family. I know. And it, it wasn't, they needed him. I, I mean, know. you know, and we all miss him. I mean, he, I think we were talking the other day, told a story about, you know, he would, he, I, I, he would show up and he was so much fun, but he was 12 years old yeah. and he was the most obnoxious 12 year old you've been around in your life. So, but, but he was 30 some. Oh yeah. He acted 12. No, no, yeah. but he was never going to be 13. He was 12. Yeah. You know, <laughs> mentally you know and so we he showed up and he was just like show up on a friday what are you doing tomorrow well i'm gonna go to this 3d shoot i'm going with you yeah <laughs> oh my gosh so you had to get mentally up for the trip i know and he took beverly with him one time and the whole time he's rolling the windows down i had this old toyota forerunner he's throwing it in neutral he's pulling up on the emergency brake we're going full on down the pass <laughs> And he's turning the radio up, you know, he'd, he'd stick his finger in his, in his mouth and put it in your ear. Yeah. It's like, Mark, right. just stop. <laughs> he was un- it, un- unbelievable. He was unbelievable. And then he, he'd walk in and he's just like, oh, he left a lasting impression with old Lisa, you know, I the bet. first time she saw him. Oh my gosh. He was just freaked out. Because he'd walk in the shop and he'd go, woo, he goes, He'd take his hair and he'd pull back and he's like, yeah, what are you looking at? Yeah, I know what you're looking at. You're looking at me and you're looking at me because I'm so bloody good looking. That's then he just had that voice or and he, yeah. he, and, and he, big smile, big smile. Yeah. He always had some kind of caffeine drink. Yeah. Couldn't drink liquor. No, you know, oh. no way because he had Native American blood in him. He was Couldn't, a mess. And, and he, he'd tell you, he's like, I am not drinking liquor. Ever. You thought he was crazy sober? <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, that guy would show up. What are you doing tomorrow? Yeah. Well, I'm pouring 38 yards of concrete. 
I'll be there. (laughs) And he'd show up and work all day. Wouldn't want, wouldn't take any money. Yeah. Would never like, dude, like he did that so many times when I, Mach 6 was the latest bow. When I went to see him in the hospital, I took that bow in there and I threw it on his bed. Brand new. And I'm like, this is for you. And this is because you have people that love you. Mm -hmm. And I'm one of them. And I don't want you to ever do that again. Yeah. And he broke that promise because he didn't contact me the second time. Yeah. That was, you know, he was. But me, I, me I love that man. I know. I, I love that man. Me and Roy, when we, after the first time we went and saw him and he was crying and he said, he goes, you know, I fucked up. I fucked up. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll never do it again. Yeah. We're like, well, yeah. it's all right. Hey, yeah. it, it, it happened. Let's, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever we got to do. But. Just the biggest personality, I think probably still to this day, mm-hmm. I mean, we both went to the same tiny high school right? and he was one of the, such a good athlete. He went and played in the Canadian football league. Well, he would right. showed up to our, uh, we were going to have an alumni <sighs> game against, mile. against Lowell. He shows up there in a baby blue Porsche with a fur <laughs> coat, fur coat on. <laughs> it's like, what? I know. We're out in the sticks. And he's a pretty good looking guy he's too. I mean, he knew it. Oh. Cause I mean, everybody that knew him and he's a male stripper. He's a stripper. He's he a stripper. Would... And he didn't have to guess. I mean, he knew he was good looking and he was, I mean, he was Mark Ludwig. Oh, I mean, he was just broke the broke the mold legend. in every way. He was Com- a legend. Complete legend. But yeah. You know, to this day, it'll never ever happen. It's never ever happened. He would walk in and we he'd mess with me so much that we'd wind up wrestling in the archery <laughs> range. I'm a grown man and yeah. I'm wrestling. I mean, I'm 27, 28 years old, and I'm wrestling. Well, business hours. I mean, right. he would come in and he would just like, come on, come on. I know you want me. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Uh, and and he'd, he'd remember, he'd always grab your head and pull you down. Yeah, I and know. He, and he goes, come on, man. You got to lead with the head. You gotta yeah. lead with it. And he'd just mess with you so much. And I was just young enough and stupid enough. I'd look around and you know, people in the store supposed to be professional. I just couldn't take it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I I agree. I, I know exactly how that, you know, I worked with, with Roth's construction for a while and Roy was the same right. way. We'd end up wrestling oh. under houses because we had to break out basements and do all this. And right. we'd, we'd be under a house, like with a sledgehammer breaking out an old foundation and then just start wrestling. <laughs> and we're just, you know, headlocks. And of course he was so strong. Oh. I was like a rag doll, but we had some pretty good fight. Then you get mad sometimes. Yeah. You're like, are we going to fight? Oh, I'd get mad at, I'd get mad at Ludwig. Yeah. And he'd just laugh and I just get madder, you know, but he's just like the whole time. But yeah, it was great. Um, in at the Otter Crest, I, I worked with Roy down there because I could run a Bobcat and they needed a Bobcat operator and all the beams underneath that thing were rotting because okay. they weren't treated. So you made a, what, a, a ramp big, under the... We had to dig all these logs and everything and yeah. Bobcat was the only way we could even get in there. So yeah, I went down there and worked with Roy and then worked with him off and on on little jobs, you know, because I was starving to death and he knew it, you know, I'm like, Roy, I don't have any money. Trying to run this archery shop. Well, come to work with me, you know, and so Lisa would run the shop and it was just great times you know we were we were supposed hard to, they picked the hardest jobs the, in the world and then we would work super hard in the morning and then go bait bear <laughs> <laughs> and just be gone hunting all right. the time and it's just like <laughs> i'd have sandwiches and whatever we'd use sandwiches for bear bait we're yeah. like no we're getting mcdonald's 
and then we'd go try to kill bear. During. Yeah, and you guys always had the same thing for McDonald's, right? Two bear pat, just bear, yeah. just plain, plain hamburgers, fries. Yeah, 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 just meat in a bun. No, nothing on them. No, yeah, no. he he would have ketchup. He ketchup. Lo- remember how he loved oh, ketchup. ketchup, peanut butter. Ketchup. Yeah. Oh man. Peanut butter, ketchup, hot dog, and a hot dog bun. God, I miss that guy. I know. I miss that I guy. Know. Well, um, so we talked a lot about the old days. Yeah. I just I'd be curious to hear for today, today's bow hunting world, archery world. How is it? I mean, how is the bow rack compared now compared to what it was back then? And what? How is the industry? What do you? It seems like it's more popular than ever. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and it's a, such an awesome time to be in the industry because, you know, structural integrity of everything. I mean, back when I started, sights, bows, rests, everything broke. Quivers. I mean, how many times do we have all our quivers all duct taped up? I owned an archery shop and I had a duct taped up quiver, right? Yeah. Everything broke. Mm-hmm. Nothing breaks today. And right. everything has a lifetime warranty. Mm-hmm. And the equipment, I mean, back then we were happy if we could get, like we used to grade our arrows and try to figure out which ones would actually hit the target. Yeah. You know, and... And the strings, I used to not want to shoot oh my string gosh, because, because it was going to stretch. stretch. Yeah, so yeah. I'd like, it'd get dialed in and I'm like, I can't practice. Yeah. I can't do anything. I got to hope that That's, one more shot hunting at last right that's when we got into marking cams so much because yeah you know we would put marks on the cam because remember when i was building strings and I had those white goofy strings that yeah, I'd make zebra. them and everything oh right yeah we'd yeah. mark the cams and you could figure out like in a tournament like i was shooting a lot of ibos back then and i'd watch my cams and like oh it's moving i know it's gonna shoot to the left i have to start aiming to the right sure enough and i had it down enough to where like i could judge by how far it was stretching that was in a 40 target 3d <laughs> shoot right? i know you know, now it's like if you get a little peep rotation, and we didn't dare, you know, try to, you know, do anything with peep rotation. No, and even if your serving started to separate, yeah, you'd just like, no, I'm going to ride it. I don't want to even mess with this. Yeah, don't touch it. Don't touch it. I won't no, shoot. We can't get it back. It's shooting good right now. Yeah. No, no, none of that. I mean, you know, today, I mean, the strings we sell, you know, the bows we sell, the quivers, everything, arrow technology, you know, broadheads. I mean, broadheads are just crazy deadly now. Yeah. The level of you lethal capability. To the Grim Reapers, whoa. Yeah, and at a different level. That is. And, you know, everybody and, and guys are just going to lose their, they're, they're going to lose their blessing over me saying that, that honestly, you know, there is technology out there that I think is corralled pretty much by Grim Reaper mm-hmm. on mechanicals, in my opinion. It's my opinion. Yeah. But, you know, I went to Maui <clears throat> the year before it was legal in Oregon. It was, it's been legal. I think this is our fifth year mm-hmm. that we've been able to shoot them. So I didn't know anything about them. I shot, you know, Muzzy Tro cars and Exodus, and they're fantastic heads too, mm-hmm. you know, but I shot all these fixed blades for years and didn't have an opinion on them. And so I went over there because you can kill a lot of animals. Yeah. And I tested a whole bunch of different ones. Oh, my gosh. Because, you you know, you can go in a good day, you can kill a lot of stuff. You know, yeah. goats, pigs, you know, axis deer. Axis deer are hard to kill. And so I did some testing. And I just came home with my head spinning over these Grim Reapers. I was yeah. like, dude, these things got it going on. I shot an axis buck. He can go anywhere. And it just stoned this thing. Mm-hmm. I shot another axis buck, a smaller one, not a good shot just stoned it yeah not a good shot they cause damage they cause damage and so you know just that kind of thing that just small things you know like mm-hmm. that just just made such a difference in the industry you know and uh you know i'm it's just a proud time to be in the industry i mean 
<clears throat> you know, and then so many new people. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's fitness people that have gotten into archery, you know, because of, you know, drawn by food and nutrition, which you've had a big hand in that, you know, big time because, I mean, you kind of set the stage for that. I mean, guys would come in and, and, and it's undoubtedly, you know, men, men are prideful. Mm-hmm. You know, pride comes before a fall. I had to learn that the hard way Me too. in life, right? And, men, you know, so I would hear it all the time, you know, I'm like, look, I don't care what you say. I go, you know, the message cam, and this has been years ago when you're first starting and you know, the message he's sending, I love it. I go, it's fitness. I go, you know, it was, it, it's what I've always done being a backcountry guy from a kid, you know, cause like growing up, you know, dad always had the worst horses in the world. Right. And we were backcountry hunt. He was a backcountry hunter, rifle hunter. But I mean, we'd pack up all these horses and go off to the Eagle Caps or the Winnaha or, you know, uh, Strawberry Mountain Wilderness, wherever it was. We were going to pack in, put in this big camp, and we were going to hunt. I learned right away that there was no humor in riding on a horse and getting bucked off after the thing got kicked by another horse down across a bunch of switchbacks you're 12 feet in the air and you land in a windfall right as a 12 year old kid i didn't see the humor in that like (laughs) i and i learned real quick that i had legs and i could use them Mm -hmm. and my dad would always like oh this this guy i know this guy he's got the best horses ever he's got great mules and horses and this other guy i know him and he's it was never us yeah our horses were the worst (laughs) we had rodeo talk about you know brisbee yeah you know he likes rodeo. Right. I hated rodeo. Yeah. It's not your goal when you show no. up and unload all these pasture green not in horses the nope. at a trailhead mm-hmm. and all your gears on there. And they just, you know, you hit one yellow jacket nest in the trail and they're strung out. And my dad was just used to it. Right. Like he had all the stuff. He carried all his leather working stuff. He just put all the pack saddles back together and the saddles and everything. The horses ripped off and yeah. he was just used to it. It was like a way of life. I'm like, there's got to be a better way. You, you wanted know? to use your legs. So I learned I could walk. Yeah. You know, and dad, he'd like, son, you want me to take your riding horse? I'm like, dad, I'm going to walk. And so I got to hike and I'm like, yeah. I felt great, you know, and, and it just worked. Mm-hmm. I was safe. Yeah. I didn't get kicked, stomped, bit, anything, you know. Right. So we did the llama thing for a while, mm-hmm. you know. Um, gosh, I think I had llamas for 10 or 12 years there, you know, and, and they worked great too. But then it just got to where, well, let's just dig in. And really focus on fitness and get to where we can just bone these things out and get them out, you know, yeah. rather than monkey around with livestock or any of that. We can yeah. just, we can make this happen. Yeah. <clears throat> and as long as you got, you know, three guys, it's decent. And, you know, Richard, Brian Richardson and I have done some wing ding packs over the years. We're not that smart of guys. I mean, you know, we just like, how far in here are we? Oh, look at that ball. Oh. <laughs> Richard said, you ready to pack meat? I was like, I think we're like 13 miles in here. And, you know, it's a long ways out and wind up at some other trailhead that's a 45-minute drive from the trailhead yeah. we came in. Went all, all the kind way across. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, the whole backcountry fitness thing, I mean, guys would come in. I'm like, you know, when you started it, I'm like, I love it, you know, because it's where we should go. I mean, mm. you know, I think hunting's definitely cultural. Right. You know, our hunting's cultural, no matter whether you're here, you know, we grow up around what we're doing here and it, and it shapes and molds us and it shapes how we think. And it shapes, it shapes our passion for how we hunt. And you go back East. And I, I remember the first time I won a morel, um, 
like uh, we'd sold the most. They had a, a regional target competition where if you sold enough targets, you won this free hunt. Well, I went to Alabama and they took us back there for free, you know, and uh, and D. Weil and Nathan Brooks and they were on the hunt, they were on this hunt too, you know. And, and if you've been in the target you know realm any amount of time, yeah. those are great guys. I yeah, mean, we sat shooters. around and great shooters stand around and talk, you know, nothing but tournament stuff. But I, I called the guy ahead of time and I kind of talked to him. And when I got out there, he's, he, you know, cause I'm like, well, is there any spot in stock? Or, I mean, is there, can I, can I just go rattle or in, 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 and he's like, no, no, no. And so when I get out there, he already had his belly full of me calling him like a couple times. Cause <laughs> I'd never killed a whitetail. I'd never been whitetail hunting. Yeah. And after the trip, I still hadn't killed a whitetail, <laughs> but you know, it was kind of comical cause he gets a hold of me and he's like, look, he goes, you ain't going to do no wandering around out here because you start wandering around. You're just going to wreck it for everybody else that's here that's hunting. <laughs> you stay in that tree stand, son. You hear me? You stay in that tree stand. And he goes, I'm going to put some corn out over here. And, and, and if the DNR come, he goes, you know nothing about it. <laughs> and this, I'm just like, What? Yeah. And so I get in this tree stand. Sure enough, some does come in and I, I'm not shooting does. I'm not shooting does. I mean, you and I grew up. We don't. Yeah, we don't kill does. I mean, we're, we're, we got cougar and bear and everything to feed. I'm not killing does. Yeah. So he comes in and he says, well, what happened? I'm like, well, some does come. You didn't shoot them. Yeah. I'm like, well, I talked to you on the phone. I really want to kill a good white tail buck. I, yeah. I'm not. I'm not in. OK, that 86 me for the rest of the hunt from there. He put me at a four-way road junction Garhole. in a tree stand. And <laughs> like the first day puts me up there. I'm like, there's just traffic. I mean, there's actual traffic. Yeah. And I'm like, what am I doing? And he comes, he gets me and he's like, what'd you see? And I'm like, oh, I saw a Pindo. There was an old Cadillac that went by. So I crawled out of the tree stand. I went down because I could see the old boy fishing at a, at a water hole. Yeah. And so I went down, I talked to him. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to get information out of him on hunting. The but West. anyway, totally different, yeah. you know, hunting style. Hunting style. Yeah. That I couldn't fit into, you know, I think like, and, and, and since then, I've done a bunch of tree stand hunting, and it's great, you know, and, and you have to be smart with it. And I've killed blacktails out of tree stands. Yeah. But, you know, from my perspective, I'm this backcountry guy to think that, you know, I can't even I can't even feel like I'm anybody unless I've got a heavy pack on and I'm yeah. going in like we did when we were kids. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of old photos. We've posted them so much. Nobody wants to see them anymore. <laughs> of us packing in, you and Roy and Levitt and yeah. Brooks. And we're all, you know, big guys. You know, we're all packing and we're going to be big, bad bow hunters, you know. But we feel like, you know, we have to traverse. Yeah. You know, three exactly. to five thousand feet you know every day gotta and, earn it you know gotta earn it that's that i had that same problem when i first started with eastman's is i would get back <clears throat> there and i wanted to hunt all day you oh, know yeah and it's like they they're worried about spooking animals pushing right. animals here and i get it you know but i'm <laughs> like well just leave me out on a ridge so i can glass or do something i'll just i just i don't want to go back to camp and right I ended up, I think I got fired one time from Eastman's, got hired back. Everybody was mad at me because I'm just like, I just want to hunt. Yeah, and that's, that's turn all, me loose. all we want to do is we're, I'm not really good at ru these rules. Right. Like, no, you can't walk. You can't do this. You can't do that. It's like, no, we're used to like, we're hunting on our own. We do what we want. And we just well, go. Remember the first time we hunted together, you and Roy were all running to the glassy spot. <laughs> yeah. And you, we just like slide in like it's baseball and we're like. <laughs> We're looking at the hillside because it's getting daylight. And, oh my gosh, there's a buck, there's a buck, there's a buck. You know, yeah. it's like, I never forget, you know, you're like, 
okay, that one's mine. And you killed that buck. Yeah. You know, that's, po- that's the power of positive, you know, yeah. speech, basically. Got po- lucky. <laughs> positive thinking. You go, that buck's mine. And you killed. And Is that, it's right there. It's that one right there. That one right there. Yeah. yeah. It had yeah. the velvet on when I killed it, but it's, right. it's that one on the left. Yeah. What a great trip that was. <sighs> I did not. I mean, how lucky, you know, I'll just say this was, you grew up hunting here with your dad. Right. You know, in the Steens Mountains. I didn't know anything about backcountry. I'd hunted, killed some things around here, but this is way different than right. going in the Kiger. And uh, so I didn't know anything. I could go up, I could walk up a hill pretty good though. And I saw that buck. And so come around the top, you mentioned the rim rocks earlier when you're talking about over there, same thing. Buck was the base of the rim rocks. And uh, I think Jeff Brooks is over across the canyon. Yeah, You you and Levitt were together. Me and Levitt were together. And so just, just by happen chance, I picked the right spot and that buck was right there. So I go to try to shoot straight down before bino harnesses, my binoculars (laughs) hung down on my string ripped my binos off and that arrow went whatever and that buck went out and I didn't know how far he was, but I'm like, same, same as you. It's like, I'll just use my 50 yard pin. Right. He might've been 80 cause it was pretty uh, downhill. Yeah. So I held 50 and I hit him in that shoulder. You remember it broke yeah, his shoulder. Broke his shoulder. And then he went kind of around the hill and then we got, got yeah, up Roy on. and I caught up with you, yeah. you know, on the recovery. Yeah. yeah. I got that one pictured somewhere where he's bedded, he's hurting, but yeah. he looks big as big. hell. Remember, I was like, I think you might have said, there's your buck. And I was like, what? That buck? <laughs> yeah. That is a giant buck. And I, was, <laughs> I'd, I had blocked out how big it was. Yeah. But when he was bedded against that rim rock hurting and, you know, I had to get in there and shoot him again. But he looked huge for us. Right. For yeah. us. We oh, were like. And he was. I mean, he was a great buck. I mean, you know, it was. Those were just the glory days. I mean, we were just we were just kids, basically, you know. But it, mold, it molded us culturally yeah. as hunters. And, you know, that's something that's rich because, you know, since then I've had a chance, you know, to, to hunt out of state quite a bit, you know, and, and I hunted Kansas, you know, Rick Carone hunted uh, Missouri and Kansas with, um, you know, with Whitney Friedman and, and, and Rick Carone. And, you know, those were all tree stand events and stuff. But, you know, when I was younger, when I went on that morale thing, I was like, if if I, if I get a hunt like this, I, I think I'll take up button collecting or, or I'll go knit a sweater or something yeah, because I just can't so do this. Different. So because different. I just, you know, when you're a kid and you're young, I'm just, I just like, my heart's just pounding. I just, like, I, I remember I killed a good buck with Rick Carone in, uh, in Kansas and Rick killed a good buck in, uh, in Missouri, but I was in that tree stand. And so in the morning, these kids, awesome kids, um, <clears throat> Uh, David Allen and Alicia Allen, they own, it is hard to believe they own like 260,000 acres in Kansas. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I mean, we would drive for, for, you know, miles and miles and it was all their property, you know, and they're big, big farmers, but you know, Alicia came up and, and went to, well, I used to have that kids archery booth at at the fairgrounds and I was running kids through there and she goes, well, I'm not a kid. And she looked like a kid. She goes, but can I shoot? And I'm like, yeah. So then she calls me and she goes, can I come do some archery lessons? And I'm like, well, absolutely. You know? So she comes by and, and, uh, I do some archery lessons with her and she goes home and, and, um, and uh, Jeff Dahl, who was, he's a local guy here. He's yeah. to church with Jeff. He's awesome, dude. And uh, anyway, he was with her, you know, and she was actually, they were opening. She was with, a, she was a college music major and they were opening for Casting Crowns and she was mm. on tour. Wow. So she, in turn of events, she winds up going back home and her now husband calls me, he was her boyfriend. And he goes, hey, we got this, we got this ranch. 
and we have a lot of of big whitetail. And he goes, "How would you like to trade, you know, a white uh, a bow for a whitetail hunt?" And so. You know, I go, well, let me think about it. So I hang up. I call Whitney Friedman. I go, yeah. Whitney, because he'd hunted that part of Kansas. And I go, mm-hmm. I tell him what's going on. He's like, dude, he goes, I'll pay for the bow if I can just go. Nobody gets to hunt those ranches. <laughs> and I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah, yeah. And so we wind up going down there and they had the tree stands all up and they had some pretty fancy stuff for Rick and I when we got there, you know. And, uh, and, and Rick was just recovering from another round of chemo. If you don't know Rick's story, it's an incre- there's another incredible individual that I just fell in love with that you and I both have had the pleasure to know. Mm-hmm. Just an unbelievable individual. Yeah. And, uh, and Rick was getting weight. I mean, he was getting better every day, you mm-hmm. know, and just like, like nothing, you know, like you just wanted to believe nothing was wrong with him and he was getting so healthy. I mean, we just came from Adam Roche's place yeah, right. down there and Adam just like entertained us for one whole night and put us up. And if you've never great been to Adam's too. place, E3 he's a Ranch. great dude. Yeah. yeah. He's a great dude. And, uh, he'd put us up down there and man, what, what a incredible ranch that they have there. And just watching the camaraderie of those ball players, yeah. you know, they all love each other and they loved Rick, you know, and, you know, Rick was a catcher and it was just, it's just such an awesome time for me to spend with Rick. But when we got there, <clears throat> first day we're up in trees and there's just deer everywhere, but I get little bucks, but there's a fence corner. And there's not much trees in Kansas where we're at. Right. There's an occasional tree. They call it river bottoms. It's an occasional cottonwood, right? Mm-hmm. And these, the, about nine or 10 o'clock, all the deer would just disappear where they just go lay down. And then about three in the afternoon, boom, they're all up. Well, there was this fence corner and there's literally 14 bucks go by this fence corner. I'm like, and there's a tree there and it's about a half a mile. And so all morning in this tree stand, I'm like, I need to be right there. <laughs> and so we move it that afternoon, crawl yeah. up that night. And there's two bucks fighting at a water hole, like 150 yards from me. Mm. I, everything I can do to stay in that tree stand. I want to get out and go shoot one. Yeah. Of them. And everything like Rick would just, Rick would just pound on me. Yeah. Rick was dyed in the wool. Stay in the tree. Stay in the tree. Yeah. So, you know, when you're in Rome, you do as the Romans, right? Yeah. That's it's right. That old it's saying. tough. It's, it's tough. tough. Yeah. And these bucks are just killing each other. And I'm like, oh, I could go shoot one of those so yeah. easy. I know I could just slip in there and arrow one. And so then your mind starts wondering, what would Eddie Craypool do? Yeah. You know, what would Larry Jones do? Yeah. You know, what would all these top bow hunters that have always written, you know, that you've read forever. What would, would Chuck Adams stay in this tree? I don't (laughs) think so. You know, so this is going on for like 40 minutes and I'm just sitting there like, who am I? You know, what, what Cameron Haynes would be out of this tree. He'd be down there shooting these bucks. Is any, are they going to break up? And is one even going to walk my way? Well, sure enough, they break up in the bigger one. And I've never really taped him, but I would guess him like 165 or something. He's a good a buck. buck. And yeah. I would have shot smaller. I've never shot a whitetail to this That's point. That's a great buck. And uh, so here he comes and he comes down, he waters and he just walks right up and I just pound him. And I'd always watched all those videos, you know, so I, I'd actually made pretty heavy arrows cause I knew, you know, I was going to be back there with Rick. So I had some yeah. full metal jackets and I pumped them up to like five, 525 or 540 grains kind of heavy for 27 and a half inch draw yeah. and i think i had my bow pumped up to like 75 pounds mm-hmm. and and you know i just figured i want to shoot him through the shoulders because oh, you watch all those videos and you yeah. see all these guys shoot whitetail and it's like nothing happens they buck and they're gone right i'm like i'm not doing this yeah 
And so I shoot him right through the shoulders and just pins Break him, him down. Up yeah. just, that was it. It was just awesome. And so like, I was like, wow, I just killed a whitetail, you know, it was the first day in Kansas, you know, and, and it was just great. And, and what was better than that was David and Alicia, you know, and, and being down there with Rick and, and they were just such awesome people, just this awesome hosts. And they're just salt, salt of the earth people, mm-hmm. you know, and then, you know, Rick with what he was going through, it was just like good medicine. And when I dropped him off um, with Brian Stevens, yeah. I dropped Rick off because he was going to hunt with Brian in, in Eastern Colorado mm-hmm. for those mule deer. Yeah. I mean, Rick was just like on top, top of the game. I, I mean, men that we've lost like that, that were just, you know, just princes. Yeah. I mean, they were just here, like almost like they were angels and God just gave them to us for a period of time because, because mm-hmm. he loves us yeah. and he just shared them with us because that was just such a crazy turn of events on how we even met, you know, Rick. Yeah. It was here at a Luke Bryan concert is, is when he first came here. Yeah. But yeah, it turned into just like a, a great friend. <clears throat> and they were just out at the farm, you know, so yeah. that's, that's how I mean, he would come out and, and stay with us. Yeah. Think, I think Rick came out four times and he would come out and he'd stay for a month and it was just good. You so know. easy to be, I mean, he'd just sit in here and just talk just like part of the family. Yeah, you know, exactly. Just, and if you didn't know Rick, I mean, you know, baseball career with what the White Sox mm-hmm. and then, uh, then after he got hit with a pitch, crushed his wrist. And so that ended his career. And then he was, he was coaching and mentoring kids and had a big batting cage coaching thing going on, hitting, hitting practice and everything. And then... Um, started filming, started film. He was filming for Willie Robertson for the butt. Yeah. Buck commander. Yeah. And he was producing that and pulled up sick Mm -hmm. and he was already in stage four pancreatic cancer, Mm -hmm. which is not, and, and lived the next five years and really lived. He did really live that show. They had that show going sheep shape. And that's how I, I think that's when he was out here and I wound up meeting Rick yeah. And, you know, I just, just love the man. I mean, so talented. He could sing, you know, he's funny, funny. Oh, the girls just loved him. He heart just of gold. Such a, did have a heart of gold. Yeah. Just such an awesome, and his whole family, his brother, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and all his friends are the same, same way, you know, just, just awesome people. But, you know, all that to say what's new in the industry is what's old in the industry is that we're family. And, and, and if there's something that's new in the industry that I see that, that grieves me a little bit is, you know, there's bow hunters that make mistakes. I mean, you know, Jesus, when, when he was in the middle of his ministry, the Pharisees and, and they, you know, all the people, they, they catch this woman in adultery and they drag her before Jesus. And they said, you know, Moses, the law of Moses says, we have to stone her. What do you say? And they're trying to trap him. Right. And, you know, Jesus is the son of God. He's God. He made us. I mean, he's the creator of all the universe and he's, and he loves us and he's here as the savior of the world. And he's being asked this question and, you know, Jesus is drawn on the ground and they go, come on, man, what, what do we do? What do you know? And he says, he, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And it started with the oldest to the youngest, but the oldest, the wisest, dropped the stone and walked away first. And when they were gone, you know, the woman's still there. And she looks up and and he says, woman, is nobody condemned you? And she goes, no, no, nobody condemned. He goes, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. So, I mean, there's our example. There's 
there's Christ giving mm-hmm. us example on how we should live. And, you know, it grieves me a little bit, you know, because the industry's quick. And I'm not going to say I've ever been without sin because I haven't. And I'm not going to say that anybody else that's made mistakes in the industry. But what grieves me in present day is that we're so quick to kill our wounded. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been a lot of people and I could we could go through naming them and there's no use of doing that. And there's no reason to ever do that. But they're wounded, but they're part of us. They're part of a brotherhood. They're 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 conservationists. They love they love the outdoors. They're attracted to God's creation. They they're just attracted to everything we are, and they want to be the best they can be at it. And they make mistakes, mm-hmm. or they try too hard. But there's no forgiveness, you know. And it, it and granted, some of them are bad people. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them aren't good people. Some of them are bad people. We've had some in history that were doing it for all the wrong reasons. And yeah, they deserve probably what they got. They reap what you sow. I mean, you sow a bad, you know, sow bad seed, you're going to reap a bad harvest. But at the same time, there's some that, you know, I'm just grieved because they're dynamic people mm-hmm. and they just love bow hunting and, you know, they love hunting and, and they make a mistake and they're, they're just 86 forever, yeah. you know, and there's no forgiveness and we just shoot our wounded. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like if we are all on the same team and we need to be because hunting is being challenged, right? right. I mean, we're, we're sitting next to a state that may be the first state that outlaws hunting and fishing. Mm-hmm. The state of Washington, they're in horrible shape and Oregon's not too far behind them. Right. And believe me, if you want to get on the bandwagon of just killing all the wounded, yeah, just keep doing that because, you know, a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. Right. And so, you know, this whole thing is, 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 is threatened culturally threatened because somebody will make a mistake and rather than saying, okay, yeah, you know, I can see how that could happen. You know, I, you know, I honestly, there's probably not a hunter alive that, you know, hasn't made a mistake, you know, maybe unconsciously that they made a mistake or consciously they Mm -hmm. did something that they made a mistake on, but yeah, we shoot the wounded. Yeah. You know, we're the first ones to go. I know that guy did this and he's a dirtbag. Right. No, 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 dude. He's not. He made a mistake. Made a mistake. He made there's, a mistake. There's people with malicious intent, and that might be yeah. different. But, you know, as you said, I mean, when you've hunted long enough, I can think years ago in Colorado, you have to have your hunter safety card with you. Right. And I had changed packs and I had I took all my stuff out, did this, forgot my old wallet that had my hunter safety card in it. So I got stopped by a game warden said, okay, can I see your hunter safety card? I'm just like looking in my pack. I'm just like, yeah. oh my God, it's it's in my other pack. I said, I just changed packs. He goes, well, you have to have it on your possession. I said, I know, I, I know. And this was, you know, people would love to be able to say that, oh, I was a poacher, I did this yeah. or did that. So this is going to be bad. And I said, could I call my wife right now? And I can, t- you can listen. I can tell her it's sitting on the, the table. And I mean, I can... I'm not lying. So I called and I said, Hey, Trace, is my wallet sitting there? That stuff from out of my pack. She's like, yeah. I said, could you open, is there an orange card in there? She says, yeah, your hunter safety card. I said, okay, could, could you take a picture of that and just text it to me? Yeah. Anyway, the game warden could have gave me a ticket. Right. And then I would be a poacher. Oh yeah. No, you know what I mean? And what, what did I, I forgot to transfer my thing and I had it and it was just an honest mistake. That's different than going out and you know, some big poaching ring. Right, right, you know? yeah. No, so exactly. It, it's like, we, we got to be able to look at this, you know. And, a, a, and when when the poaching ring is there, 
it's you're a criminal. Yeah. You're stealing from everybody. You're mm-hmm. no different than any other criminal. Right. And a lot of that always came with, you know, like any criminal, there's drugs involved. You know, there's probably drinking involved. They're going out, they're shooting bucks at night, you know, with a light, you know, wasting everything. You know, that's criminal activity. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about that. Right. Let's clarify that. It's it's people that have made mistakes. Yeah. You know, and they didn't know. Right. And then from then on, you know, it's just shoot the wounded. And I think everybody has like, just like that, that oversight where, or, or you didn't sign your license. You know, that's another oh, one. I you know, know it. Or proof of sex. Yeah. It's like, or I've got one, you know, we went, you know, back in 07, um, uh, Byron Davis and Brian Richardson and Guy Harris and I, we're all, we drew unit in, in Wyoming, a good unit. Yeah. I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're Rana pumped. There. Yeah. We're pumped and boom, we're there. And, you know, we're hunting and, you know, we, I, Byron kills a good bull. I kill a good bull and, you know, Guy and, and Brian and Byron kill bucks. I was the only one that did kill buck, you know, lots of bucks, but I just was like so focused on elk, you know, and, and, and it was hard. I mean, it was a hard hunt. There was a lot of activity there because it was a type nine tag. And if you know anything about Wyoming type nine tags. Yeah. Yeah. They don't get to go back and shoot them with a gun. Right. You have all the, you, all the local guys yep. are there right with you. Yeah. So we learned the hard archery way. Archery only. Yeah. yeah. No more, no more archery only, no more type <laughs> nine. And so that's the key to Wyoming, by the way, that's just a pro tip right there. No more Thank type you. nine. So anyway, we're coming home and I mean, CWD was just something that had just came into existence, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't know anything about it. I mean, we're just stupid dudes that just got done with a long summer of work. So what do we do? We got everything up on top of my boat rack toy hauler. I got boat rack all over it. Yeah. We got two big elk heads up on the rack on the top of the toy hauler and, and the heads. And we're going across states. Mm-hmm. We didn't know. Right. We didn't know anything. I mean, this back in 07, it just clicked in. Well, they just had all these new laws. And I mean, we're breaking those laws. Yeah. We didn't know that. Right. I knew when I got home. Man, I, I scrambled to make everything right. I mean, we incinerated those babies and yeah, mm-hmm. we couldn't, couldn't keep them. Yeah. You know, well, it was a harsh fact. And that's just, we can't be so quick to cancel each other and, and, you know, just basically shoot our own, as you said, yeah. over something things that, like that. That's, something like that. that that's just a, a mental lapse or, or didn't know. Didn't Maybe know. it's just an honest ignorance. mistake. Totally incorrect. And that's different. So we need to be able to look at that because, um, hunting, I don't know, we're so, our egos are so involved in it. We love to knock people down. It seems like, and instead of, instead of showing grace, I mean, I've been showed grace. You've been showed grace in life. It's like, we should be doing that for each other. And, and I think if there's an honest mistake, it's okay to show some grace because as, as hunters with the smaller, smaller group of numbers, basically compared to the whole population, we can't really afford to be to eat our own. No, no. And, and the thing is, is, you know, we need to be, you know, we need to promote, you know, ethical practices. You know, I, I, I do on a regular basis. I've been involved with, you know, Oregon bow hunters now for I think over 20 years. Tomorrow we have our fundraiser. We, we're going to auction statewide deer, you know, deer tag, you know, last year we set a record at $87,000. All that money goes into conservation. Mm-hmm. And that's something else that kills me too. So governor's tags, I, I have just, you know, social media is just loaded with, you know, oh, yeah, if I had that kind of. Okay, this is the deal. This is a deal with Bash and Governors, guys. That's what your game hunting is worth. Yeah. Your deer is worth that. Your elk is worth this. Your bighorn sheep's worth this. You know, your antelopes is worth this. Why? Because 
they put a monetary value on it. And then all that money that they spend goes into access and habitat, creating areas for your opportunity and conservation. I mean, last year we get a portion of that. Oregon Boners is a 501c3. Mm -hmm. We bought over 25 cell cameras last year for OSP. Yeah. And proud instead, to do it. Right. Instead of bashing those guys, how about thanking them? Thanking them. Thank you for p- paying Thank this you. much for that tag. Yeah. And there's so many names out there, guys that just are proud to support that system. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, they have money to burn on a campfire, but look what they're doing with it. They're supporting yeah, they, conservation. They, they don't have to. They don't have to. They, no, they could be on the other side of the fence. Yeah. You know, for years, you know, we have we have some history with Ted, Uncle mm-hmm. Ted. You yeah. know, Ted Nugent's awesome. He's such an awesome dude. He's such an educated guy. He's such a strong voice for, you know, for conservation and, and for hunters. conservatism. You know, yeah, he's two a his his wife is turned into just this totally awesome Christian righteous chick. I mean, she's just awesome. She's queen of the forest. She's queen of the forest and, and, and everything. And I just, I just love everything about Ted, but you know, there's that factor out there that, Oh, I don't like, okay. Would you want him on the other, would you want uncle Ted on the other side of the fence? No, no, no. Thank you, Jesus, that he is on our side of the fence. He can rip anybody to shreds if he wants to. He's so good verbally. Yeah. He's, he's well educated on every subject. You know, he's, he, I remember when we took him hunting when we were kids. (laughs) I do. Yeah. And Roy set that all up. Yeah. Sutherland goat hut. I know. Right. And the old boy that has all these goats, he's, well, you guys aren't going to kill me with bows and arrows. I've been shooting at them with my gun and they're all wild as heck and they're all just running off. And oh my gosh, we piled them up that day with we old did. Ted. Yeah. That was so awesome. L- loaded up the old Toyota with those. That's right. But remember he had a laptop. Remember he took us up on the top of the Hilton and he yeah. was, he was writing a, that he was blood, writing his blood book, trails. Blood trails. Yeah. We'd never seen a laptop. No. And he and he could type. Yeah. Like he he, he wasn't just a hunt and peck. He'd taken keyboarding. He could type. And he was Smart so good guy. with his fingers. I yeah. mean the dude's the number one guitar player of all time, right? Yeah. So what can't he do? Right. But you know, he was just incredible overachiever in every way, you know. And he was just an incredible dude to spend a day with. It was. It was Remember impactful. That? So we're all standing there. And we've all got these goats drug up there. And remember that little, little tiny goat is running across the hillside, just sprinting. <laughs> Ted just pulls up instinctive, leads that thing and smokes it. Yeah. Yeah. And until then, everybody's like, well, he's just shooting those sights. And you know, we're just like I these know. sight guys. And he just pulled up. He had that old Martin Gonza. Yeah. You know, Gonzo Safari. Gonzo, yep. And he drills that thing. Yeah. And we're just like, you got to be kidding me. Right? I know. He's a wild man, wasn't he? <laughs> We had so we had a goat that was flipping around. He just put an arrow through it, and he he looks around. I get this old video. I think I lost it in my fire because I had a fire in '94, and I lost all my everything I had. I lost. But anyway, I had this old footage. Ted looks around and he's like, "Does anybody care if a firearm goes off around here?" <laughs> and I'm like, "No, I don't think so." And I'm sitting there with my camera, and he pulls up, and he's he's he's, he's packing, and he's carrying. Yeah. I didn't know he was. He pulls out, and he's. He dumps his whole clip into yeah. this goat. I was just like, okay, this is next level stuff, you yeah. know, because we're just these kids. I mean, we couldn't have been 26, 27 years old at that time. How old, how old were you? Uh, 22? Yeah, young. Yeah, young. 22. You, you had your old blue Toyota yeah. with an mm. arrow for an antenna. Yeah, that was an 88 to pickup. <laughs> that was so, an 88. Yeah. I had, so. I had a 92 Forerunner. Yeah. Yeah. It had to, so it had to be right in there, 92, probably, because that's probably new when you got it, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. And he was touring with the damn Yankees. Yeah. 
because yep. that's the first time I think, yeah, yeah, because it's the first time he was out. We got to go to the show and oh, yeah. it was just awesome. Came to the bow rack. Oh, I know. I still got those pictures, obviously. You've so seen. Levitt and Brooks and I are up there. And when, I mean, we got the whole range full of people. And of course, they're not bow hunters. Most of them are just Ted yeah, fans, fans, right? Rock fans. Rock fans, yeah. And so when he said, okay, he goes, I'll sign whatever you got to sign. Jeff and Dwayne and I, we have our feet on the targets and we've got just like a regular table. And it's flipped over and we're trying to hold people back. And I stood up like three times and said, look, everybody's getting squished up here. You got to take a step back. And I remember afterwards, Ted's just kind of like, well, if you ever do an event again and you have somebody of my caliber, <laughs> yeah, he goes, you got to hire security. Right. He goes, because it could have really, he goes, that's when bad things happen. He goes, it could have really got ugly. That's a mad It was house. an awakening for, you know, because we're just all just... Totally oh. ignorant to any of this, you know. But we, it was, know. we got Ted Nugent coming. Hey, did everybody come? Such a big day for us as young bow hunters. It was. It was. It I was mean, fun. I did remember that kid's name, Derek Carlton. Oh, Derek Carlton. Oh, yeah. yeah no, so Derek's that, a heart rod. Yeah. So he he's always killing, taking great photos. So these yeah. are these young and, guys. And Derek, who, Derek takes a lot of other people yeah. that are successful too. Right. He's always out. Yeah. So it's like you get those guys, they're kind of yeah. like us back, you know, probably even better than Evan, we were. Evan Cunningham's another one. Yeah. He's, he's, he's guiding now and he's good fisherman, you know, good hunter, you know, fishing. Yeah. I, I, I still want to take you fishing sometime. <laughs> I mean, I don't hardly get out anymore, but you know, I, I part-time guided, you know, when I was younger, when I was going to college, yeah. you know, and did it for like, seven and a half years and it used to used to fish all the time but when i bought the shop guillotine yeah still got my boat all my gear i love it you know it's it's fun you know it can get crazy addictive and anymore i i don't care about fishing and i really don't i i, I like to take people that have never fished before like i went a couple of weeks ago and I took old jobin jarvis and cameron saxon and saxon caught steelhead before but jobin really never had you know so yeah. it was a good eye opener we just smashed them oh man i've got a river that i fish and it's got private put-ins on it and it's just selfish because the owner and i are you know he's a, he's a good brother and yeah and he he lets me fish and Sounds fun. It, it is incredible. And they're all natives and they just tear you to shreds in, in steelhead anyway. And I like killing bulls. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I do too. And, and and when it came, people always ask me like, dude, you used to fish all the time. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. no, I still hunt. Yeah. <laughs> because, well, you know, if you had to weigh that scale, I mean, them scales are going to be tipped, you know, pretty hard. How is the, uh, <clears throat> like the influence? Now it seems like bow hunting is kind of a, a cool thing now, right. you know, back, oh. back in the day, there were some bow hunters, but not a, very many. Right. Now it seems like, I guess with Rogan bow hunting, oh, Joe's all, made incredible impact. Jocko, all these kind yeah. of big names. And it's like being bow, a bow hunter is cool. Yeah. How has that impacted you? Well, well, we thank you for that because I mean, you've gotten those guys in and you're, you're the influence and you and I think Adam Greentree had some influence with those guys too, you know, and just really, you know, got a lot of people into uh into bow hunting but you know guns i mean when i was a kid in high school everybody had a gun on their gun rack yeah i, I did. mean we sold guns out of our lockers you yeah. know we trade guns every shop class and metals class you know we had a gunsmithing metals class i, it was I would part take of it, the program i would take it to to school because i'd go hunting after school so yeah. the gun was in my truck everybody yeah everybody yeah and so we're in a different world now, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and so now, you know, archery's cool, you yeah. know, archery's, you know, still probably by far, you know, socially acceptable. 
because everybody thinks archery's you know and it is archery's cool in a, in every way it's it's part of us it's it's in our ancestry no matter who you are it's in your dna mm-hmm. you know no matter who you are archery's in your dna basically i think donnie vincent you know one of his you know who we are i think i love that video yeah and he did such a good job with that video you know, and it's like, it's, 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 it's part of us. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, it's like candles or a fireplace in a house. I mean, we don't need them, right? We have electricity, you know, you could, you could, we have gas to heat with, you know, you don't need a fireplace in a house. I mean, you have furnace, right? But you still have a fireplace. Why? Yeah. You know, why do you have candles? I mean, you have lights, you know, why do you need candles? Well, it's part of your DNA. Right. You know, women go wild over candles. I mean, Lisa, my wife, I love her to death. She's just total sunshine in every way. She sells candles at our shop. I give her the hardest time about that for a long time, you know, but unbelievable how many dudes buy candles. Yeah. You know, it's just, a, yeah, like you said, it's just, it's part of it's you. written in us. And so that's part of archery. Mm-hmm. And so with that, I mean, you can't beat that out of you. Right. You know, it's just a part of us. And so, yeah, it's, 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 it's entrenched with us. So yeah, it's, it's growing. Um, there's a amazing amount of people that want to know where their food comes from, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was lucky. I grew up on a farm. My dad used to brag. He was like a foodie before there was ever foodies. My, my dad went through the depression. And if you've ever been around, you know, old boys have been through depression, we're Mm -hmm. losing them and there's not very many around anymore. It, it changed those people. I mean, they knew what hunger was. Mm-hmm. They knew what, you know, they knew what having no money was like. Mm-hmm. You know, it taught them hard work and dedication. And they canned and they did food storage. And so I grew up with canning and food storage. Right. And uh, so. It's kind of coming back now. It just is. Just like that, where the, where your food comes from, what what your meat has gone through before it makes it to your plate. Right. And then I think we've had really good people explaining the process. Like Rogan does a good job of explaining the hunting process, why it's important, what, what it entails. And that's projecting that information out to, you know, however many millions listen to his podcast. Right. So we've had media kind of on our side of telling this, Good well, he, story. He seems to, he's the number one media in the world. Right, right. So what an effective voice that is. Because before, grief. when we first started, mm-hmm. it was like you'd write in a hunting magazine or read a hunting magazine. Well, that's mm-hmm. just other hunters reading it. Right. It's, it's nobody new reading it. Yeah. So now we have this medium with Rogan's podcast and others and other media that's uh, people who don't hunt are like, oh, okay, well, I yeah, probably that makes sense. In, in the last three, probably three years, I, I bet I've had over 150 people come in the store, buy a bow, and tell me that they saw you and Rogan talking about bow hunting, and then they watched Joe talk about elk hunting, and you know, and his whole you know diet and lifestyle and everything with wild game, and they want to do it. I watched a Rogan podcast. I listened to a Rogan podcast. I, you know, I want to do this. I want you know and. And so what, a, you know, what an influence that's been, Yeah, you know, and, and you it know, just sparks what's already there. And those 150 people who knows who they're talking to about it, right? you know what I mean? So that's how it grows. But, right. but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been pretty special to see because now when you say you're a bow hunter, it's just like, oh, oh, that's, man, that's cool. That, tell me more about it. You know, right. instead of being shunned or whatever for being a hunter or being like part of this outdated tribe basically it's like bow hunting is now kind of more socially acceptable as you said right right yeah no and it is and 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 honestly you know as far as like the future the future looks bright for archery Mm -hmm. i mean because i mean we you know uh you know outside of the old biases you know there is some old biases there and i think 
I, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, with Oregon Fish and Wildlife, I love working with those guys and everything, but I think that there's just some, some deep rooted biases on archery, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's always going to be there, you know, you can't help that, you know, there's just guys that are opinionated, you know, and I've, you know, ever since I started bow, oh, you bow hunters, you know, my dad, yeah. When I started bow hunting, I mean, he was not thrilled with me, mm-hmm. you know, because dyed in the wool, you know, very prejudiced against bow hunting. They get out there first. And, you know, he was old school and, you know, they are wounded animals and just all the old cliches, you know. And when I brought that buck home, he came and he, it was, I got to tell this story. So Brooks and I, we come rolling in. I think I dropped Jeff off and I had that buck in the back of the truck. Well, like three years before that, him and I were supposed to go to the snake on a rifle hunt. And I drew the tag. Dad got sick. He gave me this mule. He had this mule. Talk about bad stock. So I, I go on Cow Creek, and I'm going to go up over, you know, I, I went up over uh, Raleigh Gulch, which mm-hmm. is straight up in yeah. the deep creek. Right. Well, you know, I get this mule unloaded, and things just started really bad from the start. And I get up on top and I hunted for a couple of days and there was a bunch of pressure up there. I wasn't really seeing any elk. So I'd spotted some elk across Cow Creek. So I was going to come down fingerboard prairie and I had that mule. Well, I get down there and that thing takes off and gets on top of me and starts jumping on me. Oh man. Yeah. And somehow I get away from it. Steep enough. I got away from it. Mm-hmm. So then I get a stick and I got to try to keep the thing away from me. But every time like I could lead it for a while and it'd take off and it'd try to get on top of me again. And these old boys, I got in the bottom and, and it hurt me so bad. I, I couldn't go anywhere. My ankle was, it got on top of my leg and, you know, smashed my ankle and I couldn't hike. And so long story short, it took me a while. I was there for three days. Finally, he limped out of there. Whole thing, whole time, things trying to get me. I get home, my dad's old school. Son, you have no idea what you were doing with that animal. Hmm. You just don't know what you're doing. That's a, that mule's awesome. I'm like, okay. So... Fast forward two years, kill that buck, coming home, excited to show dad, mm-hmm. pull in the driveway. And he's walking in from out by the out by the old barn there. He's walking in. I notice he's all wet and he's dirty. He's all muddy. He's dirty. But dad worked all the time. I mean, he's always had his, you know, old farmer overalls on and everything. And he comes walking up. He's like, that's a pretty good buck. Did you shoot that with that bow? And I'm like, yeah, because he killed that buck, huh? Like, yeah, he goes, well, he goes, got any arrows left in that quiver? I'm like, yeah. He goes, go shoot that mule. <laughs> and I'm like, and I look at him and I really hadn't looked at him, you know, cause I was all excited to tell him. And I, yeah. I really, other than I just noticed he was all wet and I look at him, he's bleeding out of both ears. Oh my gosh. And um, about that time, my mom comes flying out of the house with her purse and she goes, honey, she goes, your dad's been in a terrible accident. She goes, I gotta, I gotta take him to the hospital. And I'm like, well, what happened? I go, yeah. now I'm like, what in the world happened? And he, he goes, well, I was going to ride that mule. He goes, I was going to go on a ride up in the Cascades. And I thought I should take him out and ride him a little bit. He bucked me off. And he goes, he got on top of me. And he goes, I had to crawl down to the pond. And the only way I could get away from him is I crawled into the pond. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Thing was possessed. Yeah. I didn't shoot the mule. Really? No. 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 That'd Back be tough then, to do. you could sell them for... You know, dog chemical food. works, dog food. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that's what dad did. Was, <laughs> that thing was messed up. He's like missing some links there. Probably a good mule guy could have probably got it out of him. But, yeah. you know, but yeah, that was, that was, that was quite the deal. But that, that's, you know, my dad. And then, so then, you know, after that, 
you know, after I killed that buck, I mean, bull hunting was pretty cool, but that's how deep his prejudice was. I mean, yeah. he was, he was very upset with me that I started bow hunting, yeah. you know, and, and basically, you know, it wasn't because I wasn't going to hunt with him. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I mean, he took me hunting. I was kind of like you and Eastman's. I mean, dad would take me, okay, son, you're going to go up here. You're going to go here. I just take off. Yeah. I go shoot something <laughs> way off and 10 buck two, and he'd be mad about it. One time I, I seen this buck and, and, and I just beat feed it over there and I missed it. And he was really close to it. No, oh, he was so mad. I bet. But he, I was just uncontrollable. I was just like, he was always mad at me, you know, hunting. What, what I, what I love about what we've been doing lately and having you involved in the lift and shoot series has been incredible just because as I said, you're so wise and so much experience, but when we can go out to the farm and people can release that arrow and, and watch, watch the it fly to that. Yeah. Arrow. Like yeah. Amala did the other day and it went out of the camera on the top because it's <laughs> arced so far that. up there and then drops down and breaks yeah. that balloon. You can't help but love that. Oh, bless and her like, heart. It, it raises yeah. your spirit. If yeah. you're watching it, if you're doing it, if yeah. you're. I mean, the the gift of archery right. is uh, is something I think I love presenting to other people, and so do you. And that's I'm so thankful you've been involved in in what we're doing here. Yeah, yeah. And little Amala, I mean, is excited to you know see her, you know, and, and Tulsi. I mean, you know, you've got great people coming through. They're all awesome. It's just been an awesome opportunity to be involved with those people. It's a blessing, you know. And and for her, you know. Um, just struggling with the eye dominance and, and stuff. Yeah, it was, that was, it was a challenge. I saw you, I, I, I saw you put the tape on the sunglasses. That yeah, was pretty awesome. It and worked. Yeah. It she's, worked. she's a great little gal. Yeah. Oh, I know. So smart. Yeah. I mean, she's going to be a star. Yeah. I don't know what she's going to do, but she's got a bright future. Oh yeah. And yeah. Tulsi too, who knows? She might, you know, she ran for president yeah, already. For president. Yeah. I mean, so smart, but and yeah. now we got them, you know, this is Tulsi's bow right here. I got to send it to her, but oh, sure. uh, we have them, uh, um, in our world mm-hmm. and sharing what we love. And right. it's just like, that's all we've ever really wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, maybe not Introduce at the beginning. People. At the beginning, we didn't want any competition, but now, yeah. now we're like, no, we want to share this. It's, it's changed our life. Let's see how it can impact yours. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's super important. And, you know, um, gosh, if I could share something that's impact my life, I mean, I, I probably, it's probably been about three, four and a half years ago. You know, I kind of, I kind of had a little awakening in my life. I think I talked to you about it one day on the Hill. I think I ran into, you know, mm-hmm. and I actually, I think I told you I was praying for Joe Rogan just out of the blue. I mean, you know, and, and, and I'd kind of had something happen that I just kind of wanted to share with you. It's kind of a life changing thing, you know, and, you know, I'd given my heart and life to Christ early, like when I was 18 and it was just a dream. I, I already mentioned that earlier. It was a dramatic experience. And I knew I'd had a change in my life because I was the rottenest, worst kid ever growing up. I mean, nobody, nobody wanted to know me. I wouldn't be alive today, honestly. I wouldn't be who I am, and I wouldn't be alive today if I wouldn't have had that encounter with Jesus. And, and then, you know, for my eternity too. But, you know, moving fast forward, you know, you can just get busy in life, you know, and get busy with your passions and everything. And I had a neighbor, <clears throat> Carl Woolley. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of mutual friends and and Carl's, you know, kids were in my archery class and he was my neighbor and he had woolly logging and he logged. We had some timber property out on Poodle Creek and my family did and I owned it with my sisters and um, 
and, and my kids. And it was, it was a big trust, family trust. And so Carl came out and, and logged for me out there. And so I knew Carl, super good hearted guy, you know, just always a giver. One time he had a bow that fell off at one of his gates, you know, and it was a Hoyt. It was, uh, it was like, it was like a pro tech or, uh, uh, ultra tech. Mm-hmm. And he found it at a gate. It was all arrows were all in it. Like somebody drove off and it fell off of their truck or something. They left it. We never could find the owner of that. So I, I like, after like two years of trying to find the owner and had, had the bow up in the shop and everybody, nobody ever came in and claimed it. I told, I called Carl, like, Carl, you need to come get this, you know, and oh, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'll just set it up, fitted it to him. Used to come to all our, you know, when we used to have our, our big get togethers and stuff, yeah. and, you know, barbecues, he'd come to all of them and just a great neighbor, awesome dude, hard worker, you know, big logging outfit. And, um, anyway, I heard he, you know, I think Scott Whiteley, you know, called me, he's like, Hey, uh, you know, Carl's sick. He's, he's got cancer and he's got, he's got colon cancer. And I'm like, Oh wow. You know, and, and just like a month before that, Carl called me on the phone and, and I, and he goes, Wayne, he goes, I got a cougar in my backyard. He goes, can you come over and try to kill this thing? And I'm like, okay, never works, you know, cause I'm, I'm like the worst lion hunter ever. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had it happen. Right. But it's, it's like cougar hunting's like, trying to make lightning strike on command 30 far yards in front of you. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just hard. Yeah. You know, they're not always going to come to a call. It's not like calling coyotes or anything, you know? So, but, but like a month before I heard he was sick, you know, Carl, I'm over at his house and he's like, yeah, he goes, that cat went right through here and all the neighbors saw it. And I'm sure it's on the Hill right there. And of course I didn't call it in, but we had a good, good talk and just a super good natured guy. And, um, in any way he, uh, so, you know, I heard he was sick and then I saw him driving. And so I talked to Scott again, you know, cause I hadn't ran into Carl or I should have probably just called him and talked to him, but you know, hadn't had any communication with Carl. And I called to talk to Scott and Scott said, he's doing better. He's back to work. And so I saw him at Mathers getting fuel with his work truck and stuff. And, and so, you know, some time went by and it was probably about three or four months. It was summer, you know, you know, 12, 13 hour days. I was tired. I was going home and, and, you know, and, and this is where people are going to go, oh, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to click this off because this guy is out of his gourd. But you know, the Lord just spoke to me. And I mean, if you listen, you know, if you seek the Lord, the Lord will speak to you. And the Lord just spoke to me. And this was unequivocal. I mean, he he said to me, you, you stop tonight and we pray for for Carl. Um, and I'm, I'm going through Cedar Flats and Carl lives right there at Cedar Flats, him and Sherry. And and I'm just like, I, I start arguing with God. I'm like, oh, it's going to be awkward. You know, it's going to be awkward, you know, and I, I heard he was doing better, Lord. And it's like, I heard he was in remission. I saw him driving the other day, you know, making all these, I'll do it. I'll do it. But I'm not going to do it tonight. You know, I'm tired. I'm going to go home, you know? And so I went home and, uh, the next day, um, I'm getting ready for, did my workout run, everything, everything's in the morning and you know, I did everything, got everything gone. I've showered. I'm getting ready to leave for work. My phone rings. It's whitely. And so I answer it. Scott's go, Hey, did you hear the news? And I'm like, you know, what news? And he goes, he goes, Carl passed away. And I'm like, okay, um, I got to go. I'll talk to you later. And so <clears throat> I, I, I did ask him, I asked Scott, I go, when did he pass away? He goes sometime this morning. Okay. I got to go. And it's like one of the, this is a life changing moment for me. And, you know, I was like instantly on my knees and I'm like, Lord, you know, um, I blew it. I blew it big time. He knew me. He knew me. He needed me. He needed me that night. He needed me there. He needed to know 
and, and I struggled with this for the longest time. And I mean, I told everybody about it. <clears throat> and uh, Ron Sowers, long, do you, know, you know who Ron mm-hmm. is? Yeah, long time, you know, uh, minister, you know, youth for Christ. Just everybody loves Ron. Ron came in the shop and I was broken. And, uh, and I knew I could confide in Ron, you know, and I, I got Ron off the side in the archery shop there. And I'm like, Ron, um, hey, um, I got to tell you what happened. And I told him told him the whole story and he leaves and uh you know and i was, you know about a week later you know ron comes in and he's like wayne hey i got some awesome news i got awesome news for you and i'm like okay i'm into awesome news right now and he goes he goes yeah he goes you know that night he goes you were going by there he goes um two friends of mine he named them i didn't know him he named them he goes they were with carl carl gave his heart and life to christ that night right before he passed away Wow. And I was just like, and it relieved me, but it, it also changed me. I mean, it was, it was, it was a stamp. It was, mm-hmm. it was, it was. And so since then, I mean, I'm listening, you know, the Lord's like, look, if, if, if you don't, if you don't obey me, there's not going to be that many more times for you. Right. Because, you know, this life is short. I mean, you're on the other end of the hourglass, son. Mm-hmm. You know, you might think you're 19, and you may try to live like you're 19, but you're not. You're 61. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that's going to count is none of this is coming with you. And I've given you a lot of gifts and I've blessed you with a lot of things. And if you are not salt and light to this world, then you're no good. Mm-hmm. And you'd throw salt out that's no good or you throw it on the dung pile, and, you know, because it, it neutralizes it in the old days is what they would put. Mm-hmm. If you're not salt and light, you're nobody. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you need to, you need to like man up. And so, you know, from that time on, probably some of the most exciting things, you know, for me is I, you know, my wife and she's not much of a supporter on this, but I got into street ministry. Some of the most, they took Washington Jefferson street and they cleared it out. I was, I'd go down there and I'd print up flyers, pizza and socks, mm-hmm. you know, in the summertime I'd run around in the morning, you know, I'd go for a run. I'd go run you know, the butte down there and then mm-hmm. I'd run, I'd put out flyers and just like, Hey, it's seven o'clock Thursday night. I'm going to have pizza socks and jump up. And some of the most exciting stuff I've done mm-hmm. in my life is jump up and share the gospel with those people. And, and then, um, uh, I had just a more, more of a challenge is, uh, was uh, Broadway and Olive, mm-hmm. the corner there. They cleaned that out this year too, because of the world game. So Eugene cleaned all that out. Mm-hmm. And, and so there was no gathering. So I, I had a whole summer of withdrawals this year because, you know, I did some individual stuff, but I didn't have like the corporate because you show up at the corner of, you know, yeah. of, of Broadway and Olive with six pizzas, six extra large pizzas. A lot of customers. And there's 75, there's 75 people there. Right. And I call them the Antifa kids. They were kids. I mean, mm-hmm. some of them could have lived in the South Hills. Mm-hmm. And you just go, hey, I go, can I share this food with you? And can I share a word of hope? And they're like, dude, you do that? You bring mm-hmm. these are for us? And I'm like, yeah, dig in. I go and I just jump up and share the guys. This is some of the most and I've got a different way of doing it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just loving on them. I mean, I'm just, I'm just sharing, I'm just sharing my heart with them. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm telling stories. There's an awesome story, you know, that I it's a parable. Mm-hmm. And I jump up and I share that parable. And I roll it into John three sixteen. You know, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that 
whosoever should believe with him should not perish but have eternal life. Mm-hmm. And I roll that into, you know, stories on the cross, the thieves, you know, the two thieves, you know, malefactors that were mm-hmm. crucified, you know, with Christ. And it's just some of the most exciting stuff I've done. And now, you know, I was praying, I prayed like uh, a year ago, Lord, use me with, you know, my hunting background, you know, how can that be? And, you know, Brent Murphy down at Hillside Church in uh, Cresswell mm-hmm. calls me up. He's like, hey, would you come do a wild game banquet for us and 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 speak to our men? And I'm like, absolutely. And I just like in Jefferson Baptist Church, I went up. They have a men's ministry. In fact, I did a sports show up there and had Nate speak. And, and but I did a men's breakfast and I, they have a men's breakfast like bi-monthly or whatever. And mm-hmm. they have speakers. And I'm going to one tonight in Salem. And, uh, and, and, you know, they just asked me, they go, would you come talk to our men? And, Mm -hmm. you know, so I, 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 I kill them with, you know, all our weaknesses on archery and bow hunting and everything. And then I just roll it into my testimony and share the gospel with them. And I Mm -hmm. mean, it's so rewarding. It's so fulfilling. And I just, you know, God just moves in those men's lives. And, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's just been an awesome opportunity to, to share and, and it's changed me, but that episode just changed me. It, it, it imprinted me mm-hmm. and, and I will never be the same. Is that, is that what you told me on the Hill that night? Is that what that's the, the example? That involved yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I told you, I really, you know, I know where Joe stands. I, 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 I've listened to his podcast, you know, and I know where he stands on Christianity, but there's so many people that that he's affected, he doesn't even know it, how he's affected them, you mm-hmm. know, for Jesus, you mm-hmm. know, and all the people, the people he's had on there as guests. And, you know, um, I really think he's going to give his heart and life to Christ. I really do. And he's he's a dynamic man. And, you know, years, there's people like him and others like Kate Brown. I mean, Lord just said to me one day, who's praying for Kate Brown? I mm-hmm. mean, who's praying for her? I wasn't. I was. Thank you. I was told. Yeah. Yeah. To. That's good. Because I mean, those people, I mean, really honestly, I mean, you know, if we don't have love in our heart for those people, I mean, I, I could, you know, I could care less if they're lost. Yeah. It's, they're a, lost. it's a good point. It's they're lost. Thing. And I mean, if they're not, you know, if, if I stumble onto somebody in the woods, I remember a story that, uh, that Rick Wilhite told me, Rick was a big high country hunter. Yeah. And Rick was up him. there in the back country one time, late season, November. And he, he says, he comes over this ridge and there's a woman and she's not got much clothes on. There's snow on the ground. And she is just out of her mind. She said, she, he goes, she's white. Mm-hmm. You know, and there was a lot of activity going on, you know, up in McKinsey there because of drugs and the hot springs and yeah. everything. And he just runs down her. He's like, lady, what are you doing? She's lost, you know. And and if, if Rick wouldn't have showed up, I mean, she would have died. Yeah. And I know so many stories like that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's like that in real life. I mean, you know, right now we have leadership in Washington and they're lost. I mean, it's not, this is a spiritual thing. I mean, it's a totally 100% spiritual thing. I it's a battle. A, I guess a lesson, you know, like we, with what we said about Kate Brown, is you can't just pray for your friends and people yeah. you love. Yeah. I mean, so you, you're a, a great example of putting that in action. Yeah. Well, so you know, the important. Bible even says if you just are praised by the people and loved by the people mm-hmm. who love you, I mean, what good is that? Right. I mean, you have to reach out, you know, to others. I mean, you know, uh, oh my gosh, uh, you know, Jonah, I mean, he, he's like, dude, I'm checking out. I'm, I'm going to Caribbean. Lord, you can just let, you know, you can let the people and none of them, they can just die. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not into preaching to them. I'm, I'm taking this ship. I'm going on vacation. Mm-hmm. Good luck with that. Right. Bad storm comes, 
They're like, he tells them, he's like, they cast lots, but he tells them, he goes, look, I'm, I'm your guy. Just throw me overboard. I'm, I'm ready to die. Fish swallows him, spits him up on the beach. He, he still isn't, it's, it's a racist thing. He doesn't, he goes, he's still, he like walks in there, you know, he's, he's all probably bleached from whale gut acid. Mm -hmm. He really looks like crap. He walks in there shocking. He's just like fire and brimstone message. Like you're going to die. God's going to kill you, you know, and they repent. He still is. He's still pissed about it. Yeah. <laughs> just, but you know, it's 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 what it, it it's God's compassion for us. I right. mean, everybody for the lost. I mean, you, and and the more you can have a heart for that, mm -hmm. you know. To me, in my life, you know, I'm passionate about archery and bow hunting. I want to help everybody. But with that, you know, there has to be a message of life with it. You know, and so incorporating that just. It, it just completes the spectrum, you know, well, of with everything. You, with you, which each, each guest, we go down there, you help them with archery, as you said, mm -hmm. but then you also have a couple of minutes with them at the end before they leave, and it's always... Uh, Natalie, what? Oh, oh, my gosh, I love her. It's always... She's it, so awesome. She is. Yeah, she's she, so full of vinegar, and and she loves Jesus. I mean, she's shouting Jesus right off the beginning, but, you know, she loves Jesus. <laughs> she's been posting scripture on her I saw story. she was reading. Yeah. reading out of the Bible the other day. Oh yeah. I, I, mean, I, I, I haven't been, I've been busy, but I, yeah. I catch, I, I try to catch through her story, but no, she's, she's awesome. And, and I mean, she can affect millions for the gospel. I mean, it's just awesome people. Well, and, and there's a big revival going on in this nation right mm -hmm. now. And you know, it's, it's crazy because I, I heard this analogy was so killer. You know, they have a music awards where they worship the devil for two hours and God has a revival and it lasts for weeks, mm -hmm. you know, and you know, it's just, it's, it's clear cut. I mean, we, we live in a time right now where we have all this gain of technology and, you know, we, ha we, it's just mind boggling, you know, what's going on in our lifetime. And my dad, you know, was born in 1917 and he used to tell me, he goes, son, something's, something's going on. Cause I've seen in my lifetime, I've seen things that no man has ever seen, mm -hmm. you know, born in 1917, uh, 1917 and passed away in, uh, in 09. And we used to have long talks about it, you know, and he's just like, man, and he, he wasn't, you know, my dad, I, I hope I see him in heaven. I mean, I had a lot of time to say goodbye to him, but you know, he, he my grandpa was a pastor and kind of an evangelist and a farmer. Mm. And uh, my dad just rejected it wholeheartedly, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and didn't follow that route and actually preached against it with me. I mean, mm. he, he, he made the statement, you know, when I got saved, when I was 18, I just like told everybody, I'm like, God's real, God's real. And God's came into my life. And, you know, my dad and, you know, God forbid him, you know, for saying it, but, you know, he said, I'd rather see my son get involved in drugs and alcohol than to get involved in religion. And it hurt me. I mean, but it was, it was a good wake up call for me too, because I'm like, look, this is going to cost me something, mm -hmm. you know, and it cost my dad and I a relationship for a long time, but we mended it in later years, you know. And, and, it, and we were close in, in the final years and stuff. So, but yeah, it, uh, it's just taken me to a different place. And so for the time I have left, I mean, I, I really hope that, you know, those opportunities will come that I'll be able to share. And I've got a good little, you know, I do a good little elk seminar and, and then I just switch them, you know, blindside these poor guys that come for <laughs> breakfast. I think they're going to get, you know. Yeah, elk hunting tips. Well, okay. and they do. They do. I, I make them, I tell everybody, I think I can make you better. You know, I'm going to talk to you and, you know, and 
Well, you, you do take advantage of that opportunity with the guests we've been having coming through with Lift from yeah. Shoot. And it's been, to me, it's been powerful to everybody else who watches it. It's been powerful. Mm-hmm. And I, I thank you for that. I, I, uh, I mean, it's been a great discussion here today and I'm, I'm honored to sit across the table from you. Yeah. We've been friends for a long time. Yeah. We've, you know, been, uh, been through a lot. Yeah. Been through a lot together, but it means more than I can say to have all these people come and learn from you. Yeah. And, and I, I am highly blessed to have you as a friend. I mean, there's, we've, we've had a longstanding friendship and you think about it. Um, I've looked back on my life and I have some longstanding friends and I mean, I value every one of those deeply and you're one of them, you know, top of the list. I mean, it's, it's incredible to have people in your life like that, you know, that just, there's just such a giant blessing, you know, it's, you know, friendship, something that, you know, I've never taken lightly. I mean, there's one thing that we can take away from this world is, is our friendships, our relationships and, and take them into the next world. And, you know, the next, next one's coming. It's going to be fabulous. Well, you, I agree. And, and you, you owning the bow rack for so long when that's all we wanted to do, hang out at the rack. That's all what we did every day, me and Roy. And then to transition into where we are in life now, of course, Roy's not here with us, but we're still carrying on. Um, we're still, you know, living his legacy every day and we're yeah. still impacted by him greatly, obviously. And I, I mean, the bow rack to me, I, I can tell you the phone number to the Borac is 541-746-9711. I mean, I know yeah. everything about the Borac because it's been part of my life and, and it's because of you. Yeah, and it, it became, you know, it became long, a lot of years ago. It's like, okay, I don't care about making money. I don't care about anything. I just care about this shop and the environment that this shop creates. And, and, and it's about people. And, that, and when I, and, and there was a period of time, I remember Jamie Coleman came to me one time and he goes, Cause you're a jerk. And I'm like, and this was early, this was early nineties mm-hmm. and I was shooting IBOs. I was, I was winning. I was winning some stuff. Um, won the, uh, triple crown, um, IBO triple crown. And, uh, and I was just arrogant. I wasn't gaining any customers. I would go to those shoots and I would focus. I wasn't there to make friends. Right. I was there to win. Mm-hmm. And it was impacting my business tremendously. Plus I wasn't there on weekends to sell bows and arrows. Everybody's <laughs> right. like, dude, um, there's a 3d shoot coming up. Do you, do you want to go? I'm like, I'm working Saturday, Yeah, you know, and I switched it. Cause I mean, that impacted me when he said that it impacted mm-hmm. me. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, he's right. Mm-hmm. You know, I go to these shoots and I'm not there to make friends. I'm there to beat everybody. And yeah. I got to where people were pissed and they hated me. And then I had some good friends there too, you know, the Tom Crows and the Bob Gentries. Yeah. No, I love great Bob. shooters. Yeah, great shooters. Guys that were just incredible. And what about that Randy? Rand, was there a Randy that was really good too? Was uh, it Randy, Mike Schlinker. Randy Brown? Mike Schlinker used to shoot. Mike Allen was a good shooter. Yeah. I mean, all these guys. Mike worked for me. I just kind of like was one of my stepkids. I've had a lot of stepkids over the years, you know, sons. Well, I remember shooting with some really good guys at oh, those yeah. things. Yeah. Alan Ruddick came and Alan and Bob Gentry shot at that little Cobra. We, thought, we yeah. lost our butt. You know, Lisa and I, we got, the, I think it was 1996 or 97. We we're going to put on this Coburg super shoot. And man, we advertised the tar out of it. We paid all this money and we had a decent showing, but I think we were just flat at the end of it. It's like, it was oh, that fun. was a great event. We paid out a lot of money. <laughs> you were involved in that. Yeah. You were in the finals. It was, yeah, a, it was, it was just fun. a great fun event. And, and then we tank on it. <laughs> Wow, we were such good business people. 
but it's been, know, been, a, been a great gosh, run I look for back us. At those old, I dug up some pictures. I think I sent them to you and I look back and I'm like, how am I blessed to be married to that woman right there? Cause I, <laughs> I looked at that and I'm like, Oh, she's so beautiful. And I was like, that was me. How has she ever thought? And that was had, like, you followed the, you know, how they talk about the wife just for a second. You know, everything that the bow rack is, is as much Lisa and sometimes more Lisa than anything. And I mean, she's so much fun. I mean, when I met her, I was in a dark place in my life. And I just had three kids, um, you know, one by a girlfriend out of wedlock. I had a child support payments and I was in a rough place. And my daughter actually, my oldest daughter actually prayed for me. And she said, she said, daddy, I want you to find an angel that'll love you. And I met Lisa a few days later. And I mean, we've been just like soulmates ever since. And she's brilliant. She's bright sunshine in my life. She has been forever. You know, I just... I just love her. She's, she'll give you a reaction every time. Like, and guys tune in on that. Like they can come give her a hard time on anything. And she's going to give you at least an eight, if not a nine and maybe a 10 reaction. (laughs) She's going to react. Yeah. You know, like, like Brisby was talking about, he was extra large in the arms and she's laughing. She's like, yeah, so am I. Her personalities. But yeah, yeah. Back in, back in the day, I think that's why a lot of guys went to the bow rack. (laughs) I see Lisa. Because she was there. Oh yeah. Guys would come in and fire us all up and get her all bickering with me and yeah, we, oh. we got this bantering thing that we do it just works for us we banter at home we banter we're never any different we banter all the time yeah you know and and it's just she's just so much fun you know i take her hunting she she's she's like hunting with a job foreman what are we doing what, what, where are we going you know it's like yeah. when we get to hunting she gets all like serious and she's all like like why are we war? why are we like i remember one time we were in desolation it was in the burn i've got 150 elk and there's nothing between me and them but a bunch of birch sticks. And I'm standing there with one of these hold-up decoys. I've already killed a ball. I'm trying to get her a ball. Yeah. And and she and I'm just trying to figure, and they're moving slowly, kind of our direction. And she goes, all of a sudden she's like, What are we doing? Why are we just standing here? They're right there. Let's just go at them. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm just trying to get a game plan here. I'm just looking the situation over. I'm not gonna rush anything. Yeah. She goes, just go right at him with that decoy, and I'll shoot one. And there was a bunch of bulls. So I'm just like, well, okay. <laughs> and I listened to her for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. So we could start going real slow and nobody's really paying attention. We're getting up like 50 yards and there's a uproot right here and there's a spike behind it. We mm. walk right by him. Oh man. You don't see him. He barks he and runs and everybody runs, but that's, that's Lisa. I mean, she's, yeah. just, she's just so much fun to hunt with. And her and Nathan together, you know, Nathan. I bet that's cats Nathan, and dogs. Oh, it's it's great. We were in New Mexico, and I'm the bad guy. Everything's my fault. Oh, okay. You know, if they're not coming in, it's my fault. Dad, don't don't call. Oh, so they're on the same Lisa, team against Lisa. you. It's like Wayne, Wayne, d- don't call anymore. I'm like, okay, we just <laughs> called in like five bulls in the last few days. It's calling works. You know, yeah. like, let's just stalk in on it. Let's just go silent. You know, like. Oh my gosh. And then, you know, that day she killed that bull. It's, yeah. it's on YouTube. It's just great fun when she finally, she arrows this bull and, you know, and everything's, and then I'm, I'm a good guy. I'm a good, good guy because we kill a bull finally, you know, but up until then I was a fired guide, you know, but well, no, I mean the whole, 
you know, swag deal. I mean, all the ideas for the t-shirts, that's all her, you know. She does and, great with you it. You know, she got a hold of you and Joe and the whole Rogan Haynes deal. I mean, that's just so awesome. People all over the UK, Germany, I mean, you know, France. She has mailed those hats and shirts everywhere. People will call from all over the world. South Africa. Wow. Australia. She's did tons of them to Australia. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just wild. You know, and then all your guests that come in, they go, oh, you know, one of Rogan Sane's yeah. know, shirt and a hat, you know. She's done so, a great job. And yeah. She's, she's and that's been... all her. I would have never did that. I don't even wear my... I wear your stuff. In fact, <laughs> check this out. Oh, nice. Yeah. I wear your Original stuff. Original Beast Original Yeah. But I don't... I don't... I can't... It's like... It's like I can't hardly wear my own stuff. Well, you, know? you, you guys have I just been, love everybody else's stuff. I understand. She wears it. <laughs> I understand. I mean, right, right now I'm wearing somebody else's stuff. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, you guys have been so supportive of me. I can't, you know, and I know. Well, you've she, been supportive of us. It's It's been a good team. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate the time this morning, Wayne. Yeah. Thank you so much for being such a good friend. Sure. And we're going to keep killing it. Absolutely. Every All right. Day. All, All right. right. Keep hammering. Lord bless you. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a company that's very easy for me to promote because I drink coffee all day, every day. But more importantly, they are a huge supporter of the veteran community and are a veteran-owned business, so they have my full support. Use code KEEPHAMMERING for 20% off your first order and 20% off subscription to The Coffee Club, where you get exclusive coffee blends and merchandise. Mountain Ops offers the best supplements on the market and functional gear for athletes and hunters. Their Battleground Merino garments are some of the best I have found. I've chosen to support a company that supports the community. A portion of every sale on Mountain Ops website, www.mountainops.com, goes to help feed a family in need. Use my code KEEPHAMMERING for 20% off your first purchase and also receive free shipping.